Hello, my lovelies. Hello, hello. This is Lori and Tori coming to you from the haunted corners of New England. And you're listening to the Something Wicked podcast, the show that delves deep into the topics of true crime, haunted histories, and all things paranormal. Dedicated to the people that love to know all the spoopy and gruesome details about haunted houses, psycho serial killers, and creepy cryptids with tales to make you sleep with the lights on. Gather round, boys and girls, because it's story time! In honor of the spoopy season, we have found three terrifying tales of creepy corn mazes, menacing monsters, and horrific haunted houses to share with you today. As always, full credit goes to the author. I own no rights to any of the material, and I will be leaving links in the show notes to check out his stories. He is one amazing creator, so be sure to pop on over to his page and show him some loves. For now, my lovelies, sit back, pop some corn, and let's get it. Hello and welcome back to the show, and for those of you new to the podcast, I'll say thanks for tuning in. As we said in the intro, we are doing another story time! I scoured through dozens of stories that were Halloween themed and narrowed it down to the scariest I could find to terrify each and every one of you. So grab a stuffy, some apple cider, and maybe a slice of delicious pumpkin pie, because here we go. All three of our spoopy stories come from author William Rain, and the first one is titled, Never Enter the Old Corn Maze on Halloween. There are always plenty of strange rumors circulating in small towns across the world. The one I grew up in has everything from tales of lizard creatures beneath the woods to a bizarre bridge that leads you to somewhere else if you cross it on foot. Still, the one tall tale that I can personally attest to is the haunted corn maze just outside the city limits. The labyrinth had been out there since long before I came along. What always unsettled me about the thing, be it from simple urban legend or the truth of things, nobody seemed to know who even made it. Another unnerving aspect of it was that, while there was no caretaker, it never became overgrown or unkempt. Sure, the elusive individual who put the whole thing together may well have family members who maintained it when nobody was around, given the fact that it was out in the middle of nowhere, but nobody knew one way or the other. It was a strange thing for sure, but the rumors of that place throwing open the door to the other side on that one particular day of the year always freaked me out when I was a kid. It was the Halloween of 2005 that I learned this was not the place to be so casually visited. Not by the living, anyway. Not on the 31st of October. I was around 13 at the time while my brother was approaching 17. 
I idolized Derek. Had since we were kids. Even when he was younger, he always seemed so much more worldly than I. Though I imagine just about anyone with a few more years under their belt would come off as more knowledgeable than a wide-eyed and curious kid. He had already abandoned the sacred traditions of trick-or-treating, something I was not yet ready to give up. But when he invited me to attend a party with him on the night of the 31st, I both eagerly and reluctantly agreed. As much as I loved spending time with my brother, I wasn't thrilled about turning my back on the opportunity to score a bag load of candy. Derek knew how much I loved getting dressed up and going door to door, so he promised he'd take me around the neighborhood before we headed out that night. Being a costume party we were headed to, he decided to bring a bag himself when he joined the crowd of kids, playfully running from one house to the next. In all honesty, he looked as happy as I was while we toured the surrounding blocks. Sure, his vampire costume wasn't exactly the most extravagant garb for the occasion. Slick back hair, phony fangs in his mouth, and a long black coat. Honestly, it held in comparison to my Michael Myers outfit, but I knew his girlfriend, Alicia, was going to meet us at the party, so I couldn't blame him for dressing more stylishly cool and all. Supposedly, her little sister was going to be there as well, something that left me both nervous and a little intimidated, if I'm being honest. I'd only recently started appreciating the opposite sex at that time, but it was enough to make my palms sweaty while restricting my tongue's ability to function properly when attempting to form words. Regardless of my apprehensions, I was having a great time just hanging out with Derek, even with his friendly reminders that I needed to just be myself when we got there. When the sun finished its descent for the night, it was time for us to head back to the house to pick up my brother's car. We dropped the candy in the house, gave an obligatory goodbye to our folks, and got on the road. I hadn't been informed about where the party was taking place, but I had just assumed it would be at one house or another. When we passed by the last neighborhood before the city limits sign, the butterflies dancing in my stomach began to sink to the bubbling acid below. Where are we going? I asked, though I had a solid idea of the answer. I didn't tell you, Derek said, looking genuinely uncertain. The party's out at the old corn maze. Oh. Come on, that place don't still freak you out, does it? He asked with a chuckle. What? No, of course not. I just didn't... There's nothing to be scared of, kid. We ain't going into it or anything. Just seemed a good, kind of creepy spot for the party is all. Couldn't argue with that. It was one hell of an eerie spot, out there in the middle of nowhere. I knew some of the older kids would go out there sometimes, but I still felt uneasy about it. I was certain that most of the stories folks told about the old maze were made up. Just spooky tales to mess with the younger generation and all, but they would still get my imagination going. You sure we should be going out there tonight, though? I asked, attempting to hide the trembling in my throat. They're just stories, Danny, Derek said with a smile. You know that, right? I mean, yeah, but... It's only to scare people, kid. Halloween was invented by the candy companies, you know? Nowhere gets haunted just because it's the 31st. It's all bullshit, just like every other stupid story around these parts. You gotta stop being so scared of everything. When I head off to college, you're gonna be on your own. I love you, kiddo, but I ain't always gonna be around to protect you. It was hard to argue with him as he fully believed every crazy urban legend to be false. This one more than the others. I still felt a little embarrassed by the way he talked to me. Yeah, I was very easily freaked out at that age, but I was getting better. That creepy old labyrinth, though. I never wanted to get within a shout of that place. I trusted my brother on just about anything, but I couldn't convince myself to side with him on this. A few years before, some guy named Jackson Fiddle supposedly went missing while investigating the labyrinth around the 31st. 
Sure, I didn't even know if he was a real person, being that just about everyone seemed to know everyone in our little town, and I hadn't heard of the guy before the rumors of his disappearance. The story about the woman who showed up at the emergency room in the morning of November 1st of 98, all bloody and beaten though, that one messed me up for a while. From what she said, or from what folks said she said, her car broke down, out by the old corn maze. This being before everyone and their mother had a cell phone. She couldn't reach out to anyone, so she just started walking. Somehow or another, whether she got turned around or just wasn't paying attention, she ended up strolling right into the neatly preserved labyrinth. When they asked her why she didn't just turn around, she claimed that she tried, but it closed up behind her as soon as she crossed into it. As far as what happened to her when she got lost in there, that varies from person to person. Some say that some local boys, up to no good, followed her inside after having sabotaged her car to break down. According to that version of things, they beat her and raped her, leaving her for dead in that damn place. After she crawled her way out of there, she managed to get back to town, but was never the same since. Other, more exaggerated stories claim that she came upon some devil worshippers in there who tried to sacrifice her before she managed to make her escape. Some even say that she ran into anything from supernatural creatures, werewolves or wendigos and the like, to aliens looking to run some experiments on her. I think the alien one came around because the pathways through the maze aren't so much cut down as the stalks are folded flat against the ground. Seems like it's sort of like how crop circles are arranged, where supposedly no man or machine could have bent them so perfectly, and all that craziness. Oh yeah, a lot of tall tales came from that old place. I suppose my story is no different, or will be when I get done telling it. I imagine most will read these words with as much skepticism as Derek had back then. I can't blame any of you, of course. Truth be told, I still have a hard time believing it to this day. For the sake of picking up the pace, or in not dragging this out any longer than necessary, I won't waste time getting into much concerning the party itself. Yes, there was a veritable herd of teenagers out there when we arrived, each one dressed in everything from lazy to extravagant costumes. That alone set my mind more at ease when we got there. The fact that everyone there looked to be just having a good time hidden behind one mask or another. We spent most of our time hanging out with Alicia and Sandra, her sister. She was a bit younger than me, but she was a really cool girl, also quite pretty in her gender swap Freddy costume. The fact that we were both dressed as 80 slashers made it easier for me to get over my nerves. We talked a lot about scary movies and the like, something we were both huge fans of. Everything was going great, even after I took it upon myself to sneak a beer from the table they had set up beside the gig. It would not be until later in life that I developed a taste for it. That first sip of whatever cheap brand the underage drinkers had gotten their hands on damn near flipped my stomach. Derek full-on slapped the red Solo cup out of my hand when he noticed it, looking at me with an expression of disappointment and anger before cracking up so hard he spilled his own drink across the grass. Can't blame you for trying, kid, he said, wrapping his arms around my shoulder. When a couple of older-looking guys walked up, causing my brother to visibly tense up, our night went from a fun and relaxing time to something that still haunts my dreams to this day. Got some balls showing up here, Russell, said the guy wearing the cheaply made Frankenstein costume, something quite fitting to his considerable bulk. The fact that he called my brother by our surname made me believe this wasn't just friendly badgering. Yeah, what are we going to do about this? The other smaller, more slender guy dressed as a mangy-looking werewolf asked, cracking his knuckles. Back off, Nate, Derek said, pushing himself in front of Alicia and me. Everyone's just trying to have a good time, guys. We can settle this another time. 
Nah, bud, Frankenstein said. How about we settle up right now? Head back to the car, Danny, my brother said, giving me a quick glance before turning his attention back to the duo before him. I'll be there in... His words were cut short when the werewolf pushed him, causing him to almost topple over his girlfriend. Most of the crowd stopped whatever they were doing, turning their attention to the fight that was likely to break out any minute. There were murmurs throughout the group as they gathered around us, forming a makeshift circle, something that assured me things were about to get messy. Not here, Derek said. Not now. They're not part of this. Sandra and Alicia were attempting to back away while I was darting my eyes from my brother to the guys who had some score to settle. Tell you what, the big guy said, placing his hand on his buddy's shoulder, as if commanding his guard dog to heal. I got an easy resolution to everything if you guys got the balls. Dude, just drop it, okay? This is... Didn't say you could speak yet, Frankenstein cut in, pushing my brother back again with one hand. Derek looked fit to burst. I knew he could hold his own in his fight. I'd seen it myself when some bigger kids were giving me a hard time in school. Sure, they were a year or two younger than him, but he taught them both a solid lesson after he caught them trying to clean my clock. He kicked both of their asses, barely breaking a sweat. Still, the big guy with the poorly applied green makeup looked like he could easily bench-press my brother's Chevy. So what do you say? Willing to get your hands a bit dirty to make all this go away? Frank said, glaring down his nose at Derek. Fine, he replied with a heavy sigh. What the hell do you want me to do? No, no, not just you. He glanced over at me with a menacing smile. This is for you and Junior both. Hell, <laughs> How about the little ladies, too? Go to hell, Nate, Derek sneered. They got nothing to do with this. They do if Nate says they do, the Weasley werewolf added. This is between you and me. Don't. It's okay. Alicia cut in, having walked up beside her boyfriend. We'll play a stupid little game. Sarah nodded, folding her arms, while I gave another token nod. I can't say I was thrilled about whatever they had in store for us, but I would be damned if I was about to turn my back on my brother. Derek whispered back and forth with his girl for a moment, before turning back to his opponent. All right, what the hell do you want us to do? Simple enough, he said, cutting his gaze through the old corn maze. I'll spend one hour in there, just one whole hour to the second, and we're good. That's it, Derek replied while my fingers began to tremble. One hour? That's it, buddy boy. You gotta go in, though. Don't just hang out in the entrance or nothing. Like, walk around and shit. Can't just stand there waiting for time to run out. Then we're done, you and I? Squeaky clean. Nothing more to be said or done. <sighs> okay, then, Derek said, glancing back at me and the girls, nodding his head. One hour and we're good. I'll even pour you a beer when you come out, Frankenstein said with a satisfied smile. But y'all come out even one minute early, and I'll kick your ass so bad you'll be eating Thanksgiving dinner through a feeding tube. You got me? One hour, Derek said, holding his hand out. One hour. The big guy nodded, shaking my brother's hand. I'm so sorry about this, Derek said as we approached the entrance to the old corn maze. I didn't expect them to be here. No worries, babe, Alicia said, rubbing her hand on his back. Yeah, Sandra said. I say we go in, find a place to chill, tell some scary stories for an hour, then come back out and party some more. I just nodded, trying my best to keep the trembling of my extremities as hidden as possible. I can't lie. I was scared. Even with Derek convinced that the stories of the labyrinth were blown out of proportion, the idea of actually entering the thing had me shook. Of course, I wasn't about to reveal that. 
especially since I had already developed a bit of a crush on the girl in the Freddy costume, who came off like this was just as simple as strolling into a grocery store with her folks. Before we walked in, we all looked back to see every face of every costume partygoer glaring in our direction. From the expression on a few of them, I could tell that I was not alone in my fear of the old maze, something that didn't exactly help my concern at the time. See y'all in an hour, Frankenstein called out. Don't chicken out now, we'll be watching. For the first few minutes, we just walked in silence. I never really took in the height of the corn stalks before, how they almost towered over our heads. Just like the stories told, it wasn't just grass or dirt under our feet, but perfectly flattened stalks. They crunched slightly as we strolled onwards, but I couldn't even make out the sounds of the crowd outside after we entered. The aisles weren't particularly wide, causing us to walk two by two as we sauntered on. Derek and Alicia walked in front of Sandra and me, but I just gazed around as we moved deeper in. Even with the moon shining down from above, I was actually quite surprised how easy it was to see. Still, I wasn't about to let my guard down, and neither was anyone else, from what I could tell anyway. I say we round this corner, Derek said gesturing to the right turn up ahead, and just plant our asses and wait. Works for me, I said, feeling no inspiration to bury myself any deeper in this place than we had to. As my brother suggested, we took that turn, stopped, and sat down on the cozier-than-expected ground. Perhaps had we a little more time to appreciate how comfortable flattened corn stalks can be, this would not be a worthwhile tale to tell. Before I so much as allowed my butt cheeks to snuggle themselves into a comfortable setting, the blood-curdling squeal that echoed from somewhere ahead of us very nearly inspired every ounce of blood pumping through my veins to stop cold. Derek and Alicia looked at us freaked out by this as I was, while Sandra darted her head between each of us. "'What the hell was that?' she asked, placing her palms against the ground. "'Probably someone just trying to mess with us,' Derek suggested, looking as uneasy as the rest of us. "'That far ahead, though?' I asked. "'I could see from behind us, but how could—' "'Another scream. Much closer than the last cut my word short. "'I got back to my feet, as did Derek and the girls. "'This is a setup,' my brother said, appearing confident in his theory. "'Nate probably sent someone in while we weren't looking.' They might have been in here for a while, just waiting to have some fun with us. It did make sense. The big guy in the Frankenstein costume did come off like he knew something when he gave us that friendly reminder before we entered. Given the fact that whatever beef he had with my brother would be set right by this little dare, it would stand to reason that he wasn't going to make it easy for us. Yeah, I thought. They just want to force us to take off running. Make us embarrass ourselves in front of everyone before he kicks the crap out of Derek. Three more screams each coming from different directions, assured me that our working theory was right. While the girls looked back at my brother and me, both smiling at us, I nodded my agreement. <laughs> Hell with it, Derek said with a mischievous grin. Let's go see what they cooked up for us, yeah? Yeah, I said, feeling the most confident I had since walking to this labyrinth. I can't deny that somewhere in the back of my grapefruit, I still felt uneasy about both of my surroundings and the unsettling shrieks but a higher percentage of my mind fully believed this to be exactly what we thought, that my brother's adversaries wanted to put on a little show for us. Who are we to deny their invitation? After walking for another five minutes or so, right turn here, up a few more feet, another left and right, and on to another straightaway, with the occasional dramatically painful yells guiding our path, we finally caught sight of one of the likely handful of people who were screwing with us. This particular pathway looked to be good 20 feet long, 
with one opening to the left and another right about halfway up. At the far end, standing directly in front of another wall of cornstalks, was a tall, slender individual in a filthy black robe, with the hood pulled down low enough to only reveal the wider-than-human toothy grin. When I first saw it, my heart skipped a beat or four. It wasn't until Derek let out a soft giggle that I took in how comically sinister that costume person was trying to come off. They just stood there, heaving with exaggerated breath, keeping their head tilted down with their arms somewhat outstretched from their sides. It was sort of like how that quintessential douchebag at the gym looks after knocking out a first handful of reps that I'm swole now because I lifted heavy stuff sort of thing. When all of us started to laugh at the intermittent intervals, the mimicked heavy breathing became more agitated, inspiring the hooded figure to wail out in one final attempt to intimidate us. Unfortunately for our cosplaying friend, we weren't buying it. Even after two more similarly dressed individuals walked out from the left and right openings ahead, our laughter didn't let up. Gotta try harder than that, boys, my brother shouted, practically daring the trio to take their taunting to the next level. With one last howling scream, the one at the far end came charging toward us, slipping some sort of dagger from the inside of its robe. Here we go, Derek said, still chuckling. This ought to be good. I'll never forget that smile he gave me when he glanced over his shoulder. He was so confident that he had this whole thing figured out. So was I, for that matter. Even when the robe figure showed no sign of slowing from only a few feet away, my brother still looked back at me, wearing that carefree smile. The transition of our circumstances going from something fun and carefree to one of anguish, shock, and horror barely allowed my mind to accept what was happening. It was the sound of the blade tearing into my brother's gut that hit me, more so than the blood that spat from his still-smiling mouth. I don't know if it was Alicia or Sandra who screamed first, perhaps both of them, for all I knew at the time. Three more times, I heard that meaty thunk as the knife was pulled free and inserted back into Derek's torso. Run, Danny, he sputtered, spritzing more specks of crimson onto his shirt. I was frozen in place, barely aware that I still had a body attached to my reeling mind. When one of the girls grabbed me by the wrist, attempting to pull me back with them as they began to run back the way they came, I could still not so much as hope to break my gaze from my beloved brother's wide and horrified eyes. If whoever or whatever these things were could so easily put an end to someone who had always been so much stronger and more confident than me, I had no doubt I would not survive this. In some ways, I didn't even care. I felt so weak and pathetic at the time, I couldn't do a single thing to help Derek. I just stood there, rooted to the spot, preparing myself to share the same fate as my closest friend and brother. "'Snap out of it!' Alicia demanded, slapping me hard across the face. That exaggerated smile under the dusty black hood stared back at me, as the blade was pulled from Derek's stomach for the last time, dropping him to the ground. While his girlfriend still screamed at me, I was practically paralyzed by the sight of the blood dripping from the long, jagged blade, blending with the pool forming around where my brother lay, barely twitching. "'Damn it, Daniel!' she yelled again, slapping me even harder than before, finally inspiring my mind to collide with my body. I looked at her and back to the robed figure, who was wiping the dagger caked in my brother's blood across its chest. "'We gotta run, kid. You with me?' I just nodded something that was likely difficult to differentiate from my bodily spasms at the time. As the robe figure began to move closer, stepping over Derek, I started to back away, as he, she, or whatever the hell it was lunged at me, 
It fell hard to the ground itself as my brother clutched its ankle. Go! He moaned. That was enough to finally inspire me to run. Alicia and her sister were already a good ways ahead of me, while I kept stealing glances over my shoulder. It was during one of those intervals when I turned back to what lay ahead of me, only to see no trace of anyone that I skidded to a halt once more. Alicia? I called out barely more than a whisper. Sandra, where'd you go? Nothing. I began to move steadily forwards in whatever direction we had been going before I lost sight of my companions. But when I heard the crunching of quickly paced footsteps coming from behind, I had no more time to waste. I took off, hoping to be out of sight before the robe figures caught up with me. I could still see that unnervingly wide grin on the surface of my brain as I ran from one aisle to the next, getting myself so turned around I had not the slightest clue where I was anymore. Even with the acknowledgement that I would not easily be making my way out of that godforsaken labyrinth, I still kept going, darting from right to left, up and down, over and over. After running on fumes for the better part of ten or twenty minutes, if I even had the slightest hope of guessing any sort of time frame, I slowed down, hoping to catch my breath before it left me passed out on the flattened corn stalks. When I stopped blindly charging onward, I tried to regulate my wheezing while attempting to listen out for any sounds around me. I couldn't hear a thing. No footsteps, no screams, no voices only the thumping of my pulse against the inner lining of my ears. When the image of my brother falling lifelessly to the ground flashed before my eyes, I fought to shake it away, hopeful to focus on my escape before dwelling on whether he may or may not have survived this. If I get out, I thought, I'll get help. He's still alive. I know he is. I fought to convince myself. But you can't get him the help he needs if you're dead too. Yes. With that sound of my brother's flesh being torn apart by the lengthy serrated blade beating against my eardrums as much as the images flashing behind my eyes, I didn't believe it for a second, but I had to convince my legs to get moving again. It was while I waged that inner battle that another stomach-churning squeal snapped my attention back to my dire situation. It was close, alarmingly close, but I knew I had to check it out. Given that it sounded as though it was one of the girls screaming this time, as opposed to those we had thought to be only messing with us, I knew I had to at least attempt to do what I could to save them. Sure, I was certain I wouldn't stand a chance against any of the robed figures, but I had to try. Perhaps it was a little more than my desperation to not be alone in this anymore that drove my actions, but it was something. Again, I ran from one turn to the next pursuing yet another horrifying shriek as I plundered onwards. It didn't take me long to locate the source of the new sound to accompany those already haunting my subconscious, but when I found what I was looking for, I knew there was nothing I could do to help. The red and green striped mini-dress was almost shredded in places, revealing torn flesh and tissue, spilling more crimson fluids across the ground. My legs gave out dropping me to my knees beside the young girl whose eyes glared livelessly up at the night sky. Her long brown hair was matted with blood and chunks of gore, seemingly thrown back at her from the sequence of attacks that ripped her apart. I lost it. I just started crying and wailing out, unable to even hope to battle against such a formidable foe. The impact of my brother's death hit me at full force, colliding with the surface of my brain as though it was launched from a cannon. I continued to howl my hopelessness into the night, even when I felt myself being lifted from the ground. 
It was as though I was floating weightlessly as the robed individual carried me through the maze, having thrown me over its shoulder like a healthy-sized sack of dog food. I didn't fight. I didn't rebel. I didn't attempt to escape. It had been futile to begin with. Just the thought that I could survive something that my brother could not. When my escort stopped walking, I was still out of it while my wrists and ankles were bound to some sort of wooden prop. Through tears that still flowed, I could see that I was in a much wider spot in the maze, one that was at least four or five times the size of the slender pathways I had been running in and out of. Could this be the center of the maze? I thought, glancing around as much as I could. There were six of them now, the robe figures, each with their own unsettling grin peeking out from the darkness of their hoods. Once my extremities were sufficiently restricted, the one who carried me there backed away to join the others in line. They all just glared at me, heaving their heavy breath while maintaining their sinister smiles. "'What are you waiting for?' I asked through gritted teeth. I was beaten. I was done for. I did not doubt that. Why were they just glaring at me? "'What the hell are you waiting for?' Still nothing. They just stood there like robed statues. They weren't even forcing out that exaggerated wheezing anymore. Just get it over with, you bastards! As one of them broke from formation, slowly coming closer to me, I wasn't afraid anymore. My heart ached for the loss of the person I cared for most in this world. If they took him away from me, they could have me too, for all I cared. No more running. No more tears. No more. As I moved closer, stopping only inches from me, it leaned over at the waist, almost pushing its face right next to my own. I closed my eyes, readying myself for the blood to spill freely to waiting cornstalks, pressed to the ground, when... "'Happy Halloween, baby brother,' whispered into my ear. When my eyes blinked back open, they met not the malicious grinning thing that sought to lay me to rest, but the smiling face of the person I had idolized since I was a child. "'Derek? What the—' I could barely form anything close to a legible sentence as Alicia and Sandra lowered their hoods, pulling away the grinning masks, followed by the two guys who forced us in here, and another blonde guy I'd never seen before. They weren't laughing at me, only smiling warmly as though they thought this torment they had put me through to be a heartfelt gift of some kind. You're... alive? You're all... I stuttered while the truth of things struck me like a serrated blade to the midsection. Are you kidding me? I belted, wrestling against the bindings holding me in place. How could you? Why the hell would you? It's okay, kiddo, Derek said, still smiling, chuckling a little under his breath. It was just a joke. I just wanted to give you one good scare for Halloween. One good scare? I thought you were dead, I shouted still pulling against the ropes around my limbs. Whoa, Danny, my brother said, reaching out to hold my arm still. You're gonna hurt yourself. Let me. Don't touch me! Do you have any idea what you put me through? I could tell that my brother's accomplices were growing steadily more uncomfortable as they stared on with varying, though equally uncomfortable, expressions. But I didn't care. I felt betrayed by the actions of the one person I thought I could truly trust in this world. Not only for this ridiculous charade, but for letting me into this damn maze in the first place. You know how I feel about this place, I said, lowering my voice. You know it scares me. Exactly, he said, resting his hand on my shoulder. That's why I chose it, kid. I'm going off to college next year. I need to know you'll be alright without me here. 
It's time to face your fears and grow up some. Believe me, Danny, I'd never do anything like this if I didn't have a good reason. Cut me down, I said, refusing to look him in the eye. He just stared back at me, or so it looked through my periphery. The smile faded from his face by the time I allowed my eyes to meet his again, but I was still angry, still betrayed. Cut me down. With a heavy sigh, he reached into his robe, pulling out the pocket knife he had carried for the last few years. After the last rope was cut, I just stood there looking up at him, rubbing the raw flesh on my wrists from my writhing against the coarse ropes. Danny, I... Just get me out of here. You know your way out, right? You guys sure as hell got around well enough. Yeah, he said, lowering his head and looking defeated. This way. Come on, Danny, Sanders said, pulling off the heavy-looking robe to reveal the wounds that appeared so much more fabricated than they had through my fear-altered vision. We didn't mean... Leave me alone, I said, swatting away the hand she reached out. Think we went too hard on him? Frankenstein asked Eric as we passed by him. Maybe. I didn't think... Wait, my brother said, cutting his head from side to side. Where's the... It wasn't until then that I noticed the circular clearing no longer had any visible exits. Assuming this just should be another part of the night's festivities, I felt my face begin to flush once more. Seriously, guys? I said, turning to face the group of suddenly bewildered-looking teens. Enough already! Can we just... This isn't us, Daniel, Alicia said, looking thoroughly perplexed as she glanced from her sister to her boyfriend. Nate? Is this you guys? Derek asked. Nuh-uh. I don't even... It's all planted in the ground, the blonde guy said, tugging at the stalks, two at a time. What? What the hell is this, Derek? A very uneasy-sounding Alicia asked, before screaming out again when something rolled across the ground toward us. She wrapped her arms around her sister, who had begun to whimper slightly, while the big guy in the Frankenstein costume muttered curses under his breath. When the pumpkin came to a halt, staring straight up with a fierce and mocking smile carved into its jack-o'-lantern face, everyone grew still and silent. I just glared down at the thing with my jaw unhinged, still battling to wrap my mind around everything that had occurred up until this point. When the long corn stalks began to rustle violently, making it appear as though the whole labyrinth was quaking around us, it was hard to differentiate my own involuntary shivering from my surroundings. A low humming sound was barely audible above the trembling leaves, but it gave me the impression that something was drawing closer as it gradually escalated. Push through, Frankenstein said, weaving his hands between the stalks. It's just corn. We can... Shit! We all spun to see him wrestling against the vines that were wrapping around his arms and legs. Derek ran to his side, quickly slicing through the attacking greenery with his pocket knife. Help me! My brother shouted while cutting and pulling the stems away, as more continued to wrap around the big guy. I ran up with the skinny werewolf and blonde guy, and we all attempted to yank at the weeds which were practically engulfing the writhing meat. Sandra had dropped to the trembling ground, shaking her head and whimpering louder, while Alicia stood, seemingly frozen in place with her hands cupped around her mouth. Within seconds, no matter how hard we fought against the cornstalks, as ridiculous as that sounds, we could no longer see even the hint of the boy in the Frankenstein costume. While we still frantically battled to free him, he was swiftly pulled away from us, with only his muffled scream in his wake. When his yelling fell silent, I still stood there just staring at the opening he left behind, mentally checked out while Derek snatched me by the wrist, shouting for the others to follow. When the deep and guttural laughter echoed from seemingly all around us, 
It didn't take much convincing for everyone to start running. The haunting voice spoke. Run, run, run away, my little darlings. Sandra squealed out a high-pitched shriek while the blonde guy whined and moaned. What the hell is that, Derek? The visibly shivering boy in the werewolf costume asked. While we continued sprinting across the slender pathway, left in the wake of his friend's hasty withdrawal. How should I know? My brother barked, still not letting go of my wrist. Run, run, run away. Bellowed out with each word coming from a different direction, ending with a sinister laugh that damn near knocked my feet out from beneath me. Keep going, Alicia said, now helping her little sister remain upright. Almost as soon as the words left her mouth, our path became blocked as another wall of thick corn stalks burst from the ground. The blonde guy who had been running the fastest lost his footing as he skidded to a halt, falling with his back flat against the ground, stopping just short of the newly formed blockade. As the werewolf reached to help him back to his feet, the flattened stalk sprang to life, wrapping around him like tendrils. No! he screamed. Help me! His words were quickly muffled as the vines constricted, decking and flattered to the floor of the labyrinth. Given the blood-curdling squeal that erupted from his mouth, I was unsure if he was being pulled into the ground to be buried beneath it, or if the snapping sounds that accompanied his horrified wails were his bones fragmenting as the stalks returned to their previous state. When the blood began to bubble and seep through the thin gaps, spitting and spraying against the still-trembling greenery around us, I needed no further clarification on his fate. Holy hell, the slender boy said, backing away while attempting to wipe the fresh blood stains from his furry shirt. This way, Derek said, heading back the way we had come, gesturing to a left turn a few feet back. Come on, Jordan, there's nothing we can do for him. The werewolf still glared down at the crimson pool where his friend once lay, shaking his head from side to side as he backed away from it. Move, Jordan, we have to... My brother had no choice to finish urging his friend to run, before more of those vines shot from each side, instantly swallowing him whole. I stared on again with my lower lip quivering, as I could only make out the lone horrified eye peering out from within the tendrils of green. For a moment, it was as though everything fell silent around us, as we gazed upon where the maze had claimed another soul for its own. It wasn't until the vines retracted on each side, carrying with them whatever section of the boy in the werewolf costume they held, that each of our screams blended into one. Again, my brother snatched me by the arm, while his girlfriend did the same to her sister. By this point, I was only vaguely aware of anything, with my mind still reeling from the shock of everything. I knew I was running. I knew I was speeding alongside the person I trusted most in this world. But beyond that, everything was a blur. We sped right, straight for a bit, then left and right again, every move almost guided by what the labyrinth would allow. Pathways opened and closed around us, leading us this way and that while the guttural voice continued to mock our desperation. Ah, yes. This way. Know that. Which will it be? What will you see? Shall you set yourselves free? How long will it take, do you think, to find me? It laughed again, <laughs> a loud and haunting belly laugh at our expense. I felt my senses begin to return, only to find us still charging onwards in search of an exit, I noticed that Derek was now carrying a hysterical Sandra, while Alicia held on to my wrist. I almost wanted to ask her to let go, as I found it difficult to move as freely with her clutching onto me, but it did make me feel ever so slightly safer like this, even if I did believe our escape attempt to be futile. We were in its domain, whatever the hell it was. It was toying with us. We ran the path it chose, not one of our own selection. Still, 
Regardless of those undeniable facts, I knew we couldn't let up. Unfortunately, this inner rationalization came to a quick halt when we came face to face with our inevitable end. When the opening before us closed shut, forcing our hasty retreat short, I felt my stomach lurch at the sight of more tall corn stalks to our sides and backs. There we stood, each gasping for breath, while the young girl in the tattered red and green striped mini dress sobbed in my brother's arms, in a space maybe five by five feet, with nowhere left to go. Just let us go! Derek shouted into the night. Not just yet, my good lad. There is far too much fun to be had. What do you want from us? It was you who came to me, dear boy. Would you so abruptly put an end to my joy? Please, Alicia begged, tears forming in her eyes. Just let my sister go. Take me, Derek said, glancing back at me. Let the others go, and you can do whatever you want with me. No, I barked. Don't just give up. An interesting offer you have presented to me. But should that be enough to set your friends free? I have each of you now to do with as I please. But you still beg for unwarranted release. They're innocent, my brother said in a cracking voice. This is all my fault. Please just... When the socks parted to our left, I once more felt my jaw drop. It looked as though it could be very well that same circular clearing we had been running from. But it was not how we left it. The wooden prop I had been tied to was now replaced by a large throne, pieced together by a combination of vines and bones, some of which had appeared as though they had been freshly pulled from some unsuspecting corpse. When I noticed the bloodied and matted fur poking out in places, I had to assume that theory to be quite accurate. After taking in the sight of the torn slivers of the werewolf costume, it didn't take long to see the strips of green latex that once belonged to a cheaply made Frankenstein outfit. Come in, come in, come into my home. Do not leave me here to linger alone. It wasn't until I spoke again that I took a note of what was sitting upon the gore-lined throne. That same pumpkin which had rolled into this very area now gazed down at me from a skeletal frame, composed of just as much greenery as the chair upon which it sat. The robe it wore looked to be one of those my would-be kidnappers left behind, though the elongated emerald bones of the arms and legs protruded considerably more than its previous owner. Welcome, welcome, my traveler's sworn. Now, what exactly possessed you to come through my door? We all stood in a row, glaring up at this abomination before us. With every word it spoke, the carved expression on its face adjusted to fit. It was my fault. My decision to come into your maze, my brother said with confidence in his words. Is that true? The pumpkin asked. Was this all because of you? Yes, so please don't punish them. Just take... No more words. The creature said, holding a leafy finger to its mouth. The fact that not only had its voice deepened even more, but a rhyme did not follow this lone sentence made me fear our time was at an end. You do not belong here. It screamed, spitting pumpkin guts and seeds to the ground. How would you feel if someone just left themselves into your home? Would you let them leave unscathed? I'm so sorry. I... No more words. It lifted itself from its throne, standing twice the height of Derek as it glared down from its hollow, triangular eye holes. As what felt like minutes dragged by, we held this silent staring contest 
Given all that I had witnessed, I knew it wouldn't let us leave this place with our lives. When the apparent lord of this maddening place finally broke the suffocating silence, I would find my assumptions proven wrong once more. Three lost, three may be yet free. Which one of you will stay here with me? Before I had the slightest chance to intervene, Derek stepped forward. As the creature slipped off the robe, revealing more of its hauntingly thin frame, my brother looked back at me with a smile, tears dripping down his face. I love you, kiddo, were his last words before the filthy black fabric was thrown over my head, hiding whatever happened next from my eyes. When I pulled the robe away to see only the outside of the old corn maze before me, I fell to the ground, unable to prevent the scream from my breaching lips. Even when the arms wrapped around my back while the girls attempted to lift me back to my feet, my agonized wail would not let up. In the weeks following the disappearance of my brother and his friends, the authorities searched every square inch of that labyrinth, as well as the woods surrounding it, but nothing was ever turned up. They even plowed the whole thing down, before digging in search of anything that remained of its victims. Ultimately, they couldn't find so much as a trace of anyone it claimed for its own, but there was nothing left of the old corn maze by the time the work was done. I can't say that it surprised me when it turned back up the next Halloween, though. I couldn't help but wonder whether it grew back the natural way or just sprouted out of the ground overnight. Given that I didn't return to that awful place until the following October 31st, I had no idea how it returned, but I knew it would be there. Didn't doubt it for a second. I didn't go trick-or-treating that year, or any other year after that last time. Sure, I let my folks think I did, but I had made arrangements for the ride back out there long before that night. I just had to see it for myself, you know? Just face off against that damn thing and beg for it to give back what it took from me. Before I could enter, though, the pathway was blocked to me. Not by the stalks forming another wall, but by the one who chose to stay behind to grant us freedom. In many ways, I wasn't surprised to see him either. Even if the hopes of pulling him free from that place were short-lived. We talked for a while that night, and every Halloween that came after it. Even all these years later, he still looks as young as he did that last time we went door-to-door -door in search of bag loads of candy. It may be the only time I can see him, and he refuses to tell me what his existence consists of the other 364 days of the year, but I will carry on this tradition for as long as I am able. Sandra and I are going to be parents soon. Yeah, we've both been through our fair share of therapy over the years, as has her sister, but that awful night brought us closer than I could have ever imagined. Maybe it's simply the fact that we could only confide in each other after that night, as nobody would believe our account of things. While the psychiatrists help, we haven't exactly been forthcoming about everything with them. Given my wife's condition, I'd say there's a good chance our son could be born any day now. I just hope that he doesn't decide to wait until Halloween to make his grand entrance. I have an appointment to keep, after all. One that I hope to have him accompany me on when he's old enough. It's only right that he meets the man he's named after. I don't know why that thing allowed us to leave that night. Something that Derek claims he doesn't have an answer for either, though I suspect he understands far more than he's letting on. Perhaps someday, though, when my life passes me by and I'm nearing the end of my journey, maybe then I'll have the answers I seek. When my final Halloween comes, when I visit the labyrinth for the last time, maybe it'll allow me to enter again. If I can't free my beloved brother, Perhaps I can join him in whatever truly lies beneath the old corn maze, just outside the city limits.
Our next story is titled, Halloween, When the Masks Come Off. It has been a long time since I've reveled in the fears of those I used to prey on. It could be said that I reformed from my old ways. Well, the old ways of my kind. Not just my own. There was a time when I enjoyed the hunt even more than the meal, but I suppose I matured some time over the centuries. Oh yes, I am ancient. Ancient to your perception of the word, anyway. To my kind, I am still quite young, and there are even far older things than us. I can promise you that. Humanity has barely scraped the surface of the mysteries this world truly holds and mine are only slightly ahead of you in such knowledge, truth be told. There are many things that you got right about us, yet so many that you have gotten wrong. First and foremost, we are not attractive by your standards. To my people, I am a fairly average-looking individual, one who can easily blend into a crowd. I would find it significantly more difficult to blend in with your people, but it can be done. It does take focus, mind you. We are not shapeshifters, but we can influence how you see us. It was not easy at first, but I've grown quite talented in the act as I do enjoy walking in the human world when I can. Perhaps this is what led to my, shall we call it, rehabilitation? Oh yes, in my younger years, I would feast on you by the dozens without batting an eye. Over time, however, I think humankind began to grow on me. It was the children, I believe. Regardless of how sinister I may have appeared in your eyes, I would never feed on a child. Even when I saw you as little more than cattle, I could never end the life of an innocent. Perhaps I just never had the appetite for the taste of the pure of heart. It could be that the dregs of humanity have a more potent flavor. That being said, I will not pretend that I have never quenched my appetite on a harmless adult. Very few were off-limits to me in my youth as I considered your kind beneath me. Though there are aspects of society that still disgust and confuse me, I no longer think of you all in such a manner. There are some, of course, but I no longer take the life of anyone unless I feel that they deserve it. There will always be filth to serve my needs, and I do enjoy the flavor. It has probably been some 300 years or so since I adjusted my outlook. I even took a human mate for a time. Her children were a delight to spend time with, even though they could see behind my illusion, perhaps not the entirety of the real me, so to speak. Pure hearts can figure out the truth of things so much easier than the corrupt. Adulthood inherently brings with it a certain degree of corruption to even the most innocent of souls. It is just the nature of things, I would think. We see the world for what it is when we grow up, no longer just how we want it to be. I grew very fond of Abigail, my mortal companion, and her two little ones. I stayed with them for many years, but ultimately I would leave them before the years weaved their unfortunate spells on the frail mortal shell. I think it was curiosity more than anything that led me to live in the mortal world for those years. I was fascinated by your ways, though I did not fully understand them. My people have little in the way of emotions, 
Though we are not blank slates, as many would believe. I think we have many aspects that would appear quite foreign to you, aside from just the obvious physical appearance. We do not age in the same manner that you do. I suppose that can be taken for granted from the words I've spoken so far. We do have diseases and mental ailments, but they differ greatly from anything you could relate to. Another misconception about us is that we can transform your kind into ours. Our blood can carry pathogens that can lead mortals to crave that which we feed on, but it is more of a condition than an alteration. It frees the soul from the body, leaving only a walking shell. This remaining husk requires living sustenance to survive. My community has actually taken great offense to cults that have formed from such a disease. They would claim to be our equals, but they have no manner of understanding how far off they are in their assessment. Yes, should they continue to feed, they will live indefinitely. Surely they will be more impervious to bodily harm, along with the ability to heal certain wounds after suffering damage. It is still something more likened to donning a costume and playing a part than becoming anything like my kind. We can go without feeding for many years, should we choose. Unfortunately, this would render us with similar weaknesses to those of your kind, but it has been known to happen. We could even feast on the traditional delicacies of the mortal world, should we choose, though we would reap little benefits from it. I must confess, I am quite fond of such things as your fried chicken and the occasional steak. Although I do like to walk amongst your people, the focus it takes to keep my appearance hidden requires a great deal of effort the longer I maintain it. This is why I have grown to thoroughly enjoy the festivals of All Hallows' Eve. It is the only time of the year that I can allow my true face to be observed and cause no more than a fleeting fright to those who may look upon it. It is a manner of freedom that my kind rarely gets to experience. I like walking the streets and enjoying the laughter of the children, though I find my eyes rolling at the sight of the older youths, the late teenage girls dressed in their skimpiest outfits regardless of how cold outside the air feels to them, the teenage boys wearing idiotic parody costumes that only serve to make fun of others. Smaller children show so much more class than the older ones. In recent years, there has grown an unsettling trend among those of young people who attend a nearby university. They have proven to be quite the foul and useless examples of humanity who only enjoy bringing anguish to others. I have observed them from a distance over the months, in an attempt to understand their motivations. They call their actions practical jokes and they even record them on their little devices that are rarely far from their grasp. They publish their clips on a variety of your internet pages, and I have observed others marvel at their works. I watch your world and attempt to understand your ways, but some things make very little sense to me. I must say, though, I have grown quite fond of your World Wide Web. Many of my peers mock my interest in your society, but most of them still cling to the old ways. They see you as little less than animals who have overtaken the land and forced its underground. I have attempted to convince them that we may still share the surface world, but they refuse to use our inherent abilities to blend in amongst you. They know all too well how mankind treats those they do not understand, and we have lost legions over the centuries to your fearful throngs. Those tales may lie in your books of fables and myths, but they show so much more clearly in our encyclopedias. Regardless of our shared history, I bear you no ill will. 
Were my kind greater in number, though, I imagine they would force all of you away from the light and into the caverns that we dwell within. There are so few of us left, and I believe it would be best if we could find a common ground after all these years. The group of miscreants I spoke of apparently grew tired of badgering their own peers and set their sights on the children of this city. As the Halloween season approached, I witnessed some of the youths in masks leaping from trees to terrify young boys and girls who happened by. They succeeded in causing a little girl to cry while I watched on from the shadows one evening. She fell to the ground and tore a deep gash into the flesh of her little knee. She wept while a taller child, presumably her sibling, crouched beside her in an attempt to calm her down. The teenagers in the grotesque masks only laughed at the two of them and slapped their hands together, seemingly celebrating their defeat of such an innocent victim. I donned my most innocent and friendly face before making my way out of the darkness to greet them. I attempted to reason with the older youths and convince them that scaring little ones was no way to feel better about their own miserable lives. This only served to bring them more levity as they strolled away, reveling in their victory. I helped the crying little girl back to her feet and attempted to assist her brother in calming her down. Unfortunately, I only scared her more at first. She could see the shadow behind my veil, though just a hint of it. After a moment, she could sense that I meant her no harm, and she offered me a delightful smile for my efforts. She asked me what I was, an inquiry which caused her brother to study me more. He also saw beneath my mask, but he too did not flee in terror. I basked in their wonderful presence over the passage of mere moments in time as I escorted them back to their home after a small stop-off at a nearby ice cream shop. It is truly magical to me that children can have the ability to see beneath the flesh. I know my appearance can tear into the bravest of men, but to a child, I am but a curiosity. Before I bid the two goodnight, they spoke of the variety of attacks these immature teenagers had been inflicting on others. It had become a tradition of theirs, these past few Halloween seasons. The two children seemed to regain their fear of me for a moment when I bit into my thumb before their eyes. I had learned to control the toxins running through my veins over the centuries, so I would be able to repress any contagions should I choose. I allowed one single drip to fall from my fingertip into the little girl's open wound. She and her brother marveled at the sight of her gash closing shut, leaving no scar behind or any trace of damage on her flesh. She wrapped her tiny arms around my neck and rewarded me with a small peck of her lips on my scaled and hardened cheek. This caused a warmth to spread through my chest that I had not felt since I played in the fields with Abigail's son and daughter so many years before. I assured the two that the pranksters would learn the error of their ways very soon. I continued to observe the group of older teenagers over the following days. I watched from afar as they harassed so many more of the town's children. I watched on while the five of them laughed so much harder when they caused the little ones to fall to the ground. I felt a rage build from within me that I had not felt in decades. Though their actions angered me, I had no intention of bringing them any more than a simple fright. That was until they provoked a throng of small children to flee from their display causing a few of them to slip and fall down a nearby hill. The two small boys and one little girl became silent when they made contact with the ground below. I leaped down after them, still hearing the laughter of their attackers from above. My bloodlust boiled over and I fought against the building urge to strike. I reached the trio on the lumpy ground at the base of the hill. All of them had gashes and cuts across their faces and limbs. 
The smaller boy had broken both of his legs, while the other boy and girl had suffered fractures of wrists and shins. Once more, I allowed droplets of my blood to fall into open wounds, their small bodies contorted as they repaired themselves from within. Though the bones would heal, I had to assist in snapping them back into place before my blood fixed them at the unusual angles they lay in. Though the three were unconscious, they still winced and moaned from the pain I was forced to inflict upon them. This was only to help them, but I still felt a stab of guilt for causing them harm. The children would heal and remain unaware of my involvement, but this would not quench my thirst for vengeance. Perhaps I would return to the old ways one last time. The night of Halloween arrived, and the hateful teenagers spread their malice to any children who crossed their path. I followed close behind, having taken the form of vapor to remain unseen. Every fright they caused and every torment they provided only served to fuel my rage. I would stalk them through the night, but I would not strike until they were away from the children. I fought against my desire to shred their throats in front of the little ones. But my intent was not to traumatize the innocent. Still, their simple pranks may seem trivial to some, but to a child, they cut so much deeper. The pack of hooligans made their way into the woods. Perhaps they sought to find more prey behind the cover of trees. Maybe they had their fill for the night and decided to take the shorter route back to their dorm rooms. Their reasons made no matter to me. This would be where I would strike. They enjoyed bringing fear to the innocent, but I adored providing terror to the hateful. I followed behind, still in my misty form. I reached out to snap the occasional tree branch to revel in their alarmed glances behind them. All five were draped in tattered robes and rubbery masks. The tallest one pulled off his face covering to reveal widened eyes when I snapped a long branch from a tree only feet behind them. As they quickened their pace, I knew my plan was proving fruitful. I spread my vaporous form as widely as I could to sever a circle of dry, rotted limbs around them. They all cascaded to the ground, landing in intermittent intervals after bouncing in and out of other branches on their descent. The quintuplets stopped and darted their heads around them in all directions. They spoke softly to each other as they turned around, seemingly intent on making their way back out of the forest. They moved quickly, but I moved faster. I scattered limbs before them into their sides, causing them to travel the path that I desire. They would not be leaving this forest until I was finished with them. With my guidance, they buried themselves deeper into the dense woods until I was satisfied they were safely away from prying eyes. Now the bloodletting could begin. They had pulled off their masks as the rubbery material had apparently restricted their flow of oxygen while their pace hastened. This was good. I wanted to see the expressions on their faces. I severed one last small and slender tree branch and sent it flying towards the tall one who was the first to remove his false face. He screamed in delicious agony when the jagged limb penetrated his left thigh. I made sure to avoid any arteries as I had not yet decided if they would be allowed to survive this encounter. The boy fell to his knees, gripping his hands tightly around his leaking wound. The other four ran to his side while darting their eyes across the darkened trees. I wanted so badly to make my appearance and introduce them all to a horror they could not fathom. But the moment had not arrived just yet. They still sought rational explanations for the broken slice of wood that sprouted from the oozing thigh. 
I split a variety of many-sized limbs, causing them to shatter into splinters. I ran them down upon the five waiting victims like a storm that had erupted from above them. They all screamed in unison as thorn slivers buried into their flesh, bringing thin streaks of crimson to leak slowly down their faces and arms. The thin strips were not strong enough to penetrate their extravagant clothing, but severe damage was not the purpose of this. Oh yes, they were afraid now. They screamed into the night as they gathered their friend from the forest floor. They all wore wounds now, but none were significant enough to cause any more than light scarring. They all fled in the same direction, and it was just about time for me to introduce myself. Though my body was gaseous at the moment, I could still feel the tingles of anticipation. It had been so long since I hunted for anything more than sustenance. I forgot how thrilling it could be. I shot ahead of them to prepare for my arrival. Turning myself to vapor did not allow my body to be clothed as inorganic material could not be transformed. Somehow I thought my nudity would be just as unsettling to my prey as my scaled flesh. What would they notice first, I wondered? Would it be my yellowed eyes glowing in the moonlight? Perhaps my rows of jagged teeth behind the grayed flesh of my lips? The claws that tore through the skin of my elbows and knees? Or the twin spikes of my shoulders? It may even be the talons on the tips of my three-fingered and dual-thumbed hands that would catch their eye. I was enjoying this way more than I expected. I stood several yards in front of them when I made my body corporeal again. Transforming back to the flesh would always leave my skin slick and moist as though laired in sweat. I held my arms slightly outwards with my talons spread wide, keeping my head lowered so that my thick, dark hair would hang low on my face, revealing only the glow of my eyes through the strands. I even erected my fleshy wings from my veined and muscled back to allow my vast wingspan to prove that what they were seeing was far from human. I felt the ground beneath my feet vibrate as they skidded to a halt before me. Every one of them began to tremble, and a couple of them allowed their bowels and bladders to give in to their fear. Huddled together, they began to gradually back away, as if they thought I may not have noticed their arrival. I allowed my voice to devolve back into the guttural and wailing sounds of the golden age of my kind. Do not turn away from me, I demanded, feeling my body shake with anticipation. If you flee, you will never leave this forest again. Of course, they still attempted to run, but I would have hoped for no less. This is where the real fun begins. I chose to soar towards the two who ran together first. The long-haired boy kept his arm wrapped around the taller one with the twig still protruding from his leg. I picked them both up with my taloned feet and raised them high above the trees. They screamed and writhed in my firmly grasping toes until I released my grip and allowed them the freedom they fought for. Their blood still dripped from my talons which had pierced into the tender flesh of their shoulders. I briefly entered the notion of letting them crash into bloody heaps on the firm ground below, but they would never learn their lesson through a terminal series of broken bones and twisted meat. I quickly descended towards them and regained my grip on the already shredded tissue I had grasped before. We were close to the forest floor when I caught them, but I slowed their approach before releasing them once more to shatter bones against the hard bark of the trees. They lay still and unconscious, but I could still hear their beating hearts. I retracted my wings and sprinted on all fours toward the three others who had escaped into the forest. 
I could smell their fear and feces, so they would not stay ahead of me for long. I leaped on top of the heavy boy with shaggy hair, snapping both of his shins as I pinned him to the ground. He spat as he screamed an assortment of curses, and I watched several strands of his hair turn pure white when I disjointed my jaw and allowed it to fall wide and open like the gaping maw of a hungry shark. The pure joy I felt in his terror was momentarily interrupted by my desire to bite out his throat and feel a spewing fluid spraying into my mouth. I fought the urge as these foul individuals did not deserve a bloody death for their insults and pranks. They did, however, deserve to observe firsthand what fear truly looks like. I twisted my jaw back shut while the boy prayed on whatever god he found holy to allow his life to continue. I wrapped my hand around his face, allowing my talons to tear holes into his forehead and cheeks. I pounded his head into the ground until he lost consciousness, leaving a bloody reminder of what he saw this night. Only the pair who took the foreground on the prank against the little girl and her brother remained. The others had watched and laughed at their actions, but I saw this final couple to be the leaders of this band of hooligans. They always began the assaults and reveled the most in tears and injuries of the children. Their price would be the steepest to pay. Would I take limbs, perhaps? Leave them horrifically scarred and unfit for life among other humans? The options were many. But my time was short. Maybe we start small and see how it goes. Were my flesh capable of producing goosebumps, I imagine I would be sporting quite a few right now. I vaporized again to continue my pursuit in silence. I needed them to get together again. A nudge here and there should do the trick. I scattered more branches to guide their path once more. I even allowed parts of me to solidify to gently push them in the direction I wanted. The woods were quite dense in places, so I would lead them to a clearing. I would even allow them a moment to think they had eluded me. This was the most fun I had in centuries. As planned, the two found themselves in a wide open area in the center of the forest, having the belief that they had arrived here of their own volition. I chose to observe from high above after they stopped running and caught their collective breath. They embraced each other and spoke of what they had seen. They spun theories of elaborate makeup and costume design while taking no time to inquire about the condition of their associates. It was as though they had completely slipped from their memory. They perched down beside the thin stream that ran through the clearing, washing their faces and drinking from the water in their cupped hands. The forest had fallen silent as my presence often had that effect on wildlife of such places. They sensed what I was and kept themselves hidden when my kind was nearby. Had these teenagers the same instincts, they may have been able to shield themselves from me. I softly allowed my gaseous form to descend where the two sat side by side. The parting of the trees allowed the moonlight to illuminate the clearing and reflect in the water of the stream. I began to solidify once more, but remained silent behind my waiting prey. They sat by the stream, gazing into the night. If all went as I hoped, they would not notice me until their eyes met the reflective pool bearing my image behind them. I watched as their posture stiffened as, one by one, they felt the presence of something at their backs. I watched the water reveal their eyes gazing down upon it. They appeared too frightened to even move, which both delighted me and caused my heart to sink ever so slightly. My pursuit had come to a close, and this would be the final act of the night's festivities. 
The taller of the two slowly turned to face me. His eyes met my midsection, which paralleled his gaze. He turned his head gradually upwards to stare into my face. I wore a wide smile that bared each and every one of my razor-sharp teeth. Drool seeped from my mouth and dripped from my chin and onto my chest. It joined with my scaled flesh that was still moistened from my transition back to a solid form. I heaved with mimic breath as I did not need oxygen to fill my non-existent lungs. I wanted to appear feral and ravenous to the two cowering teenage boys who had brought such misery to the children of this small town. I looked on as they trembled in more visceral and blood-curdling terror than their little minds knew how to reckon with. I drank in their fear, and it nourished me more than any meal could ever hope to. Both of the boys faced me now. They adjusted their posture to prop up on their knees while they begged their gods to spare their worthless lives. I stretched one single arm out in front of me. They wailed and bargained with me to spare them, which only drove rage deeper into my ancient soul. With one single grasp, I snatched the quivering lumps of flesh before me from the ground on which they knelt. I gouged both of the talon thumbs of my left hand into each one of their eyes as they screamed in agony and shock. I did not push my fingers deep enough to penetrate their fragile brain tissue, though I cannot say the thought did not cross my mind. My immense and powerful wings beat against the air of the clearing as I lifted them high above the tree line. The two writhed and wailed while I held them still outstretched before me. I watched the fear grip their remaining eyes as they begged harder than before for me to spare their worthless lives. For a moment, I found great temptation to feed on their fragile bodies, to bury my sharp teeth into their flesh and quench my thirst on the life force they still held within. A fresh meal was not the purpose of this endeavor, nor was ridding humanity of these trembling specimens. The deep gashes I clawed into their chests and midsections while we hovered above the forest below were only to allow them to always remember our meeting. They would never be able to read the words I carved into their skin. It was an ancient and long-forgotten language that only my kind would be able to decipher. Roughly translated, their flesh now bore variations of the word filth and free meal. I even sliced my name into them, like a painter autographing their work. I swiftly dropped back to the earth below and released the two above the rocks and pebbles that surrounded the stream. When they awoke, they could clean their wounds in the rippling water, but they would always bear the marks I branded them with. Their newfound lack of depth perception would also remind them never to revisit their old and immature ways. I stared at the twitching bodies next to the deceased and dried leaves of the woods. I felt proud of the deeds I had accomplished this night, and I rewarded myself with a snack. The two fresh eyeballs that still sat impaled on my talon thumbs. I plucked them off and chewed them up, savoring the delicacy I had not enjoyed in many moons. The hour had grown late, but I still had time to stroll through the city streets and breathe in the remaining hours of my beloved Halloween. Tomorrow, I would don my mask again, but tonight, I would walk proudly among the people of this world. It has been almost a year since that night, and the five teenagers remain in one of your mental facilities. Of course, nobody believes the tale they spun of the terrors they experienced, but they do tell an interesting story. I still look in on them from time to time. I even allow them to see my face peering through the window when I feel like I could use a little levity. 
their reactions are truly priceless. I still watch over the wonderful children of this small town, and their smiling, playful faces continue to remind me of why I gave up my ancient ways. Halloween is upon us again, and all I ask is that you remember this. Should you choose to prey on others this season, pay attention to those walking the streets beside you. Perhaps not all of the grotesque monsters' faces you look upon are made of latex and plastic. Maybe some of them are not as forgiving as I. We will be back after a short commercial break with our final story. I want to keep the podcast focused on content that entertains, informs, and is mindful of your time. One way to accomplish this is direct listener support. Your support would help the show grow so much, so I've set up a link where you can quickly and easily support the show. The whole thing will take 30 seconds. It's glow.fm forward slash something wicked. That's glow.fm forward slash S-O-M-E-T-H-I-N-G-W-I-C-K-E-D. We're asking for $3 a month, but you can contribute as much or as little as you'd like. If something wicked is part of your day or week and you love what we're doing, please visit glow.fm forward slash something wicked and support us any way you can today. It's dead simple and again will take no more than 30 seconds. Click the link in the show notes, pay with Apple or Google Pay, and click the link of the podcast player that you want to use. You can listen anywhere at any time. Happy listening! And as always, saving the best for last, this story is called Sammy's Halloween Spooktacular. Are we ever gonna get there? Sarah whined from the back seat. We still have a ways to go, Pumpkin, my wife replied. I could tell she was as tired of being in the car as the kids were. Jeremy was still passed out in the back seat next to his sister. He must have been sleeping hard because her wails and whines were not so much as causing him to stir. How much longer? Sarah cried out in her most pitiful voice yet. We're still a long way off, Pumpkin, I replied, trying not to sound as irritated as I was starting to feel. We started calling her Pumpkin after our first Halloween that she was old enough to enjoy. I can't say that I was a particular fan of the holiday, having spent my childhood in London, where I was born. My family moved to the States when I was 15, after my father got a job offer he couldn't refuse. I'm 34 now, and a similar opportunity now took my family and I across the country. Sarah's first Halloween costume was a little pumpkin onesie with a cap that had a small green stem protruding out of the top. She loved it so much and refused to wear anything else for weeks following her night of trick-or-treating. She couldn't say the word quite right at that age, so Pumpkin became her moniker, inspired by her own words. As much as I did not care for that time of year, she adored it. I attempted to convince my family to try out my old tradition of sporting an ancient garb of Guy Fawkes Night on November 5th, which I used to celebrate as a child. Safe to say it wasn't their cup of tea. 
When Jeremy joined our little flock, it didn't take him long to find his love for Halloween, too. I was in the minority with my distaste for the occasion, but it was hard to argue too much with something that brought the kids so much glee. The children and my wife were all of the same fear that our cross-country move in mid-October would make the seasonal traditions difficult to celebrate. I assured them that the subdivision we were to be adopting as our new home looked to provide far more opportunities for treats than the one we had left behind. Maybe we should get off the road for a bit, Jessica suggested. We had planned to stop at a hotel at some point in our trip across the country. The idea of forcing the kids to endure 14 hours straight in the car was enough to make us all exhausted at just the thought alone. I had wanted to make a little more progress before stopping off for the night, but I couldn't deny that the six hours I had already spent behind the wheel was making me feel a little on edge. As much as I adored our little pumpkin, her whines were starting to inspire a fair amount of frustration. Just a little longer, babe, I replied to my wife's request. Truthfully, I was hoping to find some sort of landmark or otherwise pleasant location to spend our break from driving. I had meant to do a little research before we left, to plan out a good place to stop off, but it completely slipped my mind. We had loaded up the trailer with all of our belongings over the days before we headed out, but that just served to exhaust my body and mind. Daddy! Sarah exclaimed from the back seat with jubilation to her voice. Look, look, look! She cried out, thrusting pointing her finger in between where my wife and I sat. Sammy's Halloween Spooktacular, the billboard my excited daughter raved about read. Jess gave me a look I knew all too well, a broad, mischievous smile with a tingle in her eyes that read, Come on, babe. I let out a sigh and smiled back at her. Sarah's excited screaming had woken up her brother, causing him to join on the shared glee that my wife and daughter had already overflowed with. He showed absolutely no sign of drowsiness, regardless of just being dramatically yanked from his sleep. I missed those days. I couldn't wake up with any degree of enthusiasm, even if I passed out for 12 straight hours. Alright, I chuckled, causing the rest of the vehicle's inhabitants to bellow their appreciation. I can't say I was anywhere near as thrilled as they were, but I couldn't say no to their smiling faces. The information I could make out on the billboard indicated that it was still a good 20 miles ahead. There was absolutely no way that I had any hope of getting the kids to settle down as the same sign reappeared every couple of miles. Every single one we passed caused more yells of anticipation, and, as happy as I was to see them excited, I could feel a throbbing headache begin to form. Some 15 or 20 minutes later, I pulled off the exit that promised our adventures were close at hand. There were a few fast food joints and truck stops directly off the short road that branched from the interstate, but the new smaller signs on the side of the road indicated that Sammy's was still up the road a little bit. After another handful of miles, we arrived at what seemed to be the main strip of whatever town we had landed in. There were plenty of little tourist attractions and a boatload of roadside motels before we finally reached the large and creepy-looking building that bore the same title as the billboards we had seen for the last half hour. How about you guys go check it out and I'll go set up a hotel room, I suggested, mildly hopeful to avoid having to enter the spooktacular environment. You don't want to come, Daddy? Sarah exclaimed, pouting slightly. It's not that pumpkin, I replied, knowing full well that it was indeed that. I just want to make sure we get a room before they all sell out. Jess gave me a sideways glance, and I had no doubt that she could tell that traffic wasn't heavy enough to imply that the numerous hotels were hurting for rooms. She still gave me her cute half-smile, accompanied by a quick wink. She knew Halloween wasn't my thing, so she didn't hold my bailing out of the event against me. It definitely would be a pain to have to get back on the interstate to find a room for the night, she said loosely, backing up my play. Aww, both kids whined in unison. 
It did make me feel bad to let them down, but as we pulled into the spacious parking lot of the best haunted experience in the country, according to the flare on the signpost, their pouting veered back to excitement. I pulled up as close as I could to the entrance while hauling the enormous trailer filled with a houseload of furniture and labeled boxes, and I handed Jess one of my credit cards to cover the entry fees. She gave me a kiss before getting out of our extended cab truck. Too much ewing from both kids. Bye bye, Daddy! Sarah yelled out while my family made their way to the entrance, hand in hand. Jeremy was already fully focused on the festivities within his reach not to waste any time on goodbyes. I love you guys, have fun, I shouted at the trio as I strolled happily away from me, before I circled out of the exit to the parking lot. I chose to head over to the nearest and nicest looking motel that would prove to be easily within walking distance of Sammy's. I respectfully carried my truck and trailer to the rear of the parking area to stay out of the way of any vehicles that would much more conveniently inhabit the closer spaces. After setting up two adjoining rooms for the night, I went ahead and unloaded our overnight bags, carried them up to our second floor lodgings. I sent Jess a text of our room numbers and let her know that I arranged for the front desk to hold on one of the key cards in case we ended up bypassing each other as I walked back to the roadside attraction. It seemed unlikely that we would miss each other with such a short distance between us, but I knew some of these tourist spots would have a rear exit so the folks leaving wouldn't get in the way of those entering. I didn't receive a reply, so I assumed they were in the middle of having a fright load of fun as the flyers at the hotel would suggest were likely to occur. It didn't take long to arrive back at the parking lot to Sammy's on foot, so I was sure they would have made it through the attractions by now. I still hadn't heard back from my wife, but she was often prone to leave me hanging on text messages, so I thought nothing of it. As I walked closer, I really took in the size of the place for the first time. It was set up to look like a giant, classically styled haunted house. Various colors of tarnished siding, boarded up windows, and a variety of warnings spray-painted on the walls. They looked like something cruel teenagers would apply to the house belonging to the neighborhood weirdo. Turn back now, you'll never last till morning, save yourself, were just a handful of the phrases painted across the large building. It had to be a solid five stories tall at least, and looked like it had set them back a healthy chunk of cash. There were the classic seasonal assembly of horrific characters just outside the entrance. Werewolves, evil-looking scarecrows, vampires, and the like, all set up in their best mid-action poses to alarm those who may pass by. Though I didn't care for the theme, I couldn't argue that it all looked quite convincing. When I pushed open the door to the lobby inside, I heard a ghostly howl that seemed to be triggered by a motion sensor beside the entryway. I rolled my eyes at this one, as it seemed a little cliché. Of course, well done or not, the whole place was quite the stereotype, but I imagine it was effective to their target audience. Though festive decor lined the interior as much as the exterior, I was surprised to see that it looked not dissimilar to a common movie theater lobby on the inside. They even had a concession stand though it just sold as many advertising trinkets as it did snacks and beverages. T-shirts bearing phrases such as, I survived the six floors of terror, or other simpler ones bearing the moniker of this establishment hung on pegs to the side of the counter, along with hats, hoodies, and even expensive looking jackets. Welcome to Sammy's, how many in your party? A monotone voice beckoned from somewhere to the side of me, breaking my staring contest with the clothing accessories. Um... No party, actually, I replied to the cute blonde girl dressed like a ragdoll who had approached me. I'm looking for my family, actually, I continued. Name, she requested, looking quite bored by the experiences her job provided. Hawthorne. Jessica, Sarah, and Jeremy Hawthorne, I replied. She began tapping her fingers across the screen of the tablet she held. 
It had a wide case around it, shaped like a skull. Honestly, it looked like it would be quite cumbersome to make use of, with such ridiculous padding, but she seemed to have no issues with it. It looks like they're still enjoying the attractions, she said after completing her search, sounding completely unenthusiastic about said activities. Wow, I replied. It's been a while now. How long does this thing go on for? I asked, genuinely taken aback that they were still in there. It depends on how many floors you get through, she droned on. Maybe up to an hour, if they're brave enough, she continued. You're welcome to take a seat and wait for them, she finished gesturing to a row of benches off to the side of the lobby. All right, thanks, I said dismissively before walking over to take a seat. It had already been close to an hour since I dropped my wife and kids off, but there may have been some sort of line to get in. There was currently a small group gathered up in the front of the big doors to the rear of the lobby. They seemed to be awaiting whatever the allotted time was. Surely this was the case for Jess and the kids, too. Another thirty minutes passed. I was growing quite restless. The other group had entered a little while ago, and I still saw no sign of my family. I badgered the ragdoll girl again, only to receive a similar dismissive conversation as we had before. I kindly asked to speak to a manager, as this was clearly going nowhere. She seemed reluctant to grant my request, but placed a phone call nonetheless. He should be with you shortly. Please take a seat until he gets here, she said, gesturing back to the same bench I sat on previously as though I had somehow forgotten its existence. Perhaps I was allowing my annoyance to take root, but this was becoming a little ridiculous. Only a few minutes passed before... Hello there, my frightful friend, bellowed from the portly man to my left. What can your old buddy Sammy do for you? He seemed very theatrical in his words and actions as he spoke in an almost exaggerated Irish accent. I'm looking for my family, I replied without hesitation. I dropped them off about an hour and a half ago, and they're still not out. Well, good lord, he exclaimed in an awful imitation of an English accent. We got a proper bloody limey among us. Pip pip pedalio, he continued as he jumped his plump little body from the floor to click his heels together. Look, mate, I just want to see my family, yeah? I said, feeling a growing aggravation with the rotund man dressed in the style of a circus ringleader. Oh, easy, governor. I was just having a little fun, he replied jovially. Give it a rest, I exclaimed, grabbing the man by his collar. Where is my fucking family? I asked slowly and firmly before letting go of the fool who still wore a silly grin. I'm sorry, I said, though it wasn't exactly sincere. I'm just worried about my kids. It's been a while and I haven't seen any sign of them. The man nodded to the ragdoll, who quickly brought him her skull wrap device. He tapped away on the screen, still keeping every action almost comically exaggerated. It looks like they got through all six floors, he exclaimed with eyes wide. Likely they'll be enjoying the restaurant and arcade at the bottom. The bottom? I asked, glancing upwards at the ceiling I assumed to be the base to the second floor. The sixth floor is a fear. Go down, me boy, he grinned, fully returning to his Irish brooch. Can I meet them down there? I asked, hopeful that I may finally get to meet up with them. Only if you brave the floors yourself, he said, proudly straightening his posture. Isn't there, like, an employee's entrance or something? I asked, feeling exhausted by this whole ordeal. Well, of course, boyo, but such things are not fit for mere mortals to cross, he said, with a mischievous look in his eye. Come on, don't you want to have some Halloween fun yourself? He asked, wringing his fingers together. I don't give a flying fuck about Halloween, mate, I belted, feeling my face flush. Just take me to my fucking family, you smug little shit. A certain amount of malice crossed his red-bearded face for a moment. We locked eyes in what felt like a completely childish staring contest. 
There was something unsettling in the way he looked at me, as his mouth twitched ever so slightly. If he wants to get to your loved ones, he sneered, he needs to descend the six floors. Are you brave enough to face your fears, me boy? He asked as his face regained a pleasant smile. Fine, I sighed. How much? I asked, feeling like this whole thing was just a setup to squeeze out more cash. It's on the house, he said, grinning widely before making a theatrical bow. For the misunderstanding, of course. He gestured to the small group that gathered in front of the wide entrance, which was made up to look like heavy iron doors. Feeling dejected and annoyed, I slowly dragged my feet over to the six other people that stood before the entryway. Do try to enjoy yourself, the pudgy man face said as the doors creaked open. Almost instantly, I found my eyes rolling again as I looked upon the predictable strobing lights that flickered beyond the opening of the giant doors. The two teen couples in the front of the group huddled together while the boys gave each other a grin. The girls, who wrapped themselves around the two, were certainly overselling their fears of the silly sights ahead. But I remember such games when I was younger. Someone's getting late tonight, the voice in the back of my head stated. The closest kid to the front had shaggy hair and wore a letterman jacket, while the girl who held onto him had her blonde hair tied into pigtails and wore a red and white cheerleader outfit. The other girl had long black hair that hung to the middle of the back of her blue mini dress. The guy who stood beside her had short brown hair, parted in the center, and wore a blue and white striped button-up shirt and dark, purposely ripped jeans. The remaining two members of the group whose company I had forced to share for the next hour or so looked to be in their mid-twenties. The taller of the two wore a white shirt and tie, with a grey pinstripe vest that was buttoned in the center. His jeans were also stylishly ripped, and he had a dark, chin-strap beard, a thin mustache, and spiked black hair. The other had a shaved head, and a thicker, yet tidy, dirty blonde beard. He wore a tight beige sweater that accented his athletic build and baggy light blue jeans. I couldn't really get a read on my new companions, but I hoped they would help make this experience as tolerable as possible. Floor 1 As we made our way through the makeshift hallways, likely made of cheap wood, draped in dark cloth, I kept checking my phone to see if Jess had replied yet. I almost winced every time one of the teenage girls made an over-the-top scream while wrapping their bodies further around their excited dates. Plenty of costumed men and women jumped out from behind the walls to bring frights to those who couldn't see that shit coming from a mile away. Some seemed more into it than the others. The guy in the scream getup acted like he'd rather be drilling down online friends to whatever shooter game took his fancy. After a few minutes, we cleared the black draped walls and found ourselves looking at a stairway that led down into sights unseen. The fluorescent lights that were mounted to the ceiling above the steps flickered almost as much as the strobes we had only cleared moments ago. I let out a heavy sigh and checked on my phone again, while the airheads in front were attempting to sound convincing in their terror at the thought of descending to the second floor. It wasn't until then that I really took in the implications of six floors going downwards. How deep did they have to dig to build this place? My thoughts were cut short when a man in a bloody apron wearing a burlap sack over his head and wielding a roaring chainsaw came charging at us. A ridiculous abundance of shrieking came from the front of the group before the two couples scampered down the steps. The two guys in the back strolled quickly behind them. I just began my descent at an average pace. I wanted to get back to my family as quickly as I could, but I wasn't about to let myself get dragged into the silliness. Floor 2 as I approached the bottom of the staircase, I saw that all six of my associates for the day were standing in a row. None of them were moving, and even the dramatic teenage girls were silent while they gripped tightly onto their boyfriends. When I got level with them, I found my jaw hanging open when I looked upon the darkly lit woods that lay beyond the landing. 
There was no evidence of walls to our sides or a ceiling above our heads. All I could make out above the dense woods was the night sky with a bright full moon shining down. What the fuck is this? I asked, mostly to myself. Maybe the stairs led us outside? The taller of the mid-twenties guys said, completely unconvincingly. It's just special effects, the dark-haired teenager next to the pigtailed girl in the cheerleader outfit remarked, attempting to sound confident. Can we just go back? The girl replied, her voice trembling slightly. It's just too weird, she continued. Quit being a pussy. None of this shit is real, the teenage boy said before being smacked across the chest by his girlfriend. Don't be an asshole, Greg, she said before smacking him again. After some back and forth, the group agreed to turn around and head back up the steps. I was sure this was just also some sort of gimmick, but I couldn't deny that this floor looked as though it would take some time to get through. I desperately wanted to see Jess and the kids, but maybe I could walk around the building and reach the arcade another way. If this building really did lead another six floors down, surely there was some way to get there from the outside. What the hell? The spiky-haired 20-something guy exclaimed, mirroring my own thoughts when we turned around to see that only more woods stood behind us. It's gotta be an illusion or something, his friend retorted before walking towards the stairs where they were only moments ago, with his arms outstretched in front of him. He traced his hands around like he was trying to find a light switch in a dark room, but he only walked further than where the stairs had stood. They must have retracted them, the confident teenage boy who had recently received a slap from his girl said. More conversation erupted among our small group while they attempted to explain what was going on, but I just wanted to get moving. Giving little shit about standing around listening to any more pointless arguing, I started walking forward in the direction the stairs had stood before. It would stand to reason that, if this was indeed another floor, I would have to make my way under the one above to reach another possible flight of stairs. Where the fuck are you going? The cheerleader's boyfriend called out. Looking for the next stairway, I replied, turning around as I continued to walk away from the six in the huddle. You're going the wrong way, dingus, he exclaimed, laughing at my apparent ignorance. We're in a forest, mate, I replied, shrugging off his insult as uncertainty mixed with adolescent cockiness. Who knows what's right and wrong, I finished, choosing not to get into my reasoning with someone unreasonable. Fuck that limey fruit, I heard the cocky kid's friend say from behind me. He can get himself lost. Let's get moving in the right direction. He spoke loudly to make sure I heard, but I wasn't about to waste my time picking fights with children. It only served to make me dread my kid's teenage years more than I already did. I still heard their voices in the distance as I made my way through the trees, but I felt no need to register their words. After walking for a little while, I came to a clearing in the trees that housed a large stone altar with the words, When the moon is full, they come out to play, carved into it. I rubbed my fingers across the tablet and found myself surprised and slightly impressed that it felt like cold and bumpy stone. They really had spared no expense with this place. Daddy! I heard my daughter's voice call from somewhere ahead. Sarah! I yelled out with my heart racing. Had she gotten lost in here? Could Jess and Jeremy be out there too? Daddy, please help me! She shouted with panic in her voice. I'm coming, pumpkin! Just keep calling out and I'll follow your voice! I yelled out as I ran in the direction of the sound. No matter how fast I ran, her words seemed to grow no closer. Branches whipped me in the face as I weaved in and out of trees, but I could not find my daughter anywhere. Daddy, he's hurting me! She cried out, causing my movements to become even more erratic as panic swelled in my chest. Daddy! 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 Her voice kept calling with each repetition of my moniker coming from a different direction. I spun in place and became dizzy from jerking my head at a new angle for every repetition of my daughter's words. 
Daddy. 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 Continued to echo through the woods as the voice grew deeper and more menacing than my child was capable of sounding. Daddy. Was said calmly one final time from directly behind me. It was not even close to Sarah's voice anymore. It now sounded gargled and hauntingly deep. I noticed a scent of something foul from where the words were spoken, and I felt heavy breaths brush across the back of my neck. Help me, Daddy. The voice at my rear said before I slowly turned around. I found my jaw hanging wide once more when I turned to see the fleshy and wrinkled chest of what appeared to be some sort of monstrous parody of my sweet little girl. It stood probably nine or ten feet tall, and two or three times as wide as I. Two muscled and deformed arms hung almost to the ground, beside far skinnier and bony legs. The chest looked emaciated behind the stretched and torn unicorn t-shirt Sarah had been wearing today. The large head had a low-hanging jaw that lay open and drooling while jutted out in an unsettling and crooked underbite. Two different sized, though still enlarged eyes looked down on me. They were the exact same shade of gray-blue as my daughter's. The red hair that was tied back into a ponytail sprouted out from somewhere in the back of the thing's head. "'You're not her!' I exclaimed, slowly backing away from the creature wearing the shredded clothes my girl had worn this very day. Daddy. It whined, which sounded almost like guttural moans of a large and wounded animal. Don't you love me anymore? Wailed out while it walked closer with its elongated arms stretched out towards me. I continued backing away, shaking my head from side to side. I was trying to convince myself that this was not some sort of abomination formed from a cruel experiment on my baby girl. But that very thought was stabbing into me more and more. You're not her. You're not her, I said over and over like some sort of bargaining prayer as tears flowed down my face. But daddy, it's me. It called out one last time before something pointed and barbed sprouted from her chest. The creature coughed and gargled on blood that began to rise up from its throat and out of its mouth. It fell to its knees and slumped over onto the ground to reveal a jagged tree branch that had been gouged through its flesh. You okay, man? The heavily breathing voice of a taller of the twenty-something guys said as he ran around from behind the beast that lay on the forest floor. It cried out one final, Daddy! Before the long arm it reached up at me flopped to the ground. A single choking breath passed its muted lips before it lay silent. I was still shaking my head from side to side, entranced by the mutated thing that wore my daughter's clothes as it spilled dark blood across the leaves and pine straw on the ground. What the fuck is going on? I asked the boy who was now helping me back to my feet. I hadn't even realized I had dropped to a sitting position until I felt his arms wrap around me. Beginning to regain my senses and composure, I looked at the kid, who had impaled the thing that now lay lifeless. He had a deep gash across his left eyebrow, and the right sleeve of his shirt had been torn off. Another four people came staggering through the trees, and I saw that they had all apparently been through some shit. The other kid in his twenties was limping while bracing himself with a long and solid branch. His right knee appeared to be covered in blood and wrapped with a sleeve from his friend's shirt. The teenage boy with the dark-haired girlfriend appeared, unharmed but she clung on to him in a much more convincing fashion than her flirtatious manner before. The other girl was on the ground, sobbing into her hands. Her outfit was covered with blood and her stockings were torn on both shins, where twin gashes leaked through the splits. This ain't no fucking game, the boy perched on the heavy branch said. 
The one who saved me from the approaching monstrosity went on to explain that they were attacked by some sort of hunched-over creatures with long fur covering their bodies and sharp claws on their hands. The arrogant kid who wore the letterman jacket thought they were part of the show and approached them to take a selfie. One of the beasts spit into his throat, and the other tore off the arm that held the cell phone outstretched. Battle had ensued, which caused the shredding of one guy's knee and the gashes across the shins of the dead teen's girlfriend. They managed to kill the animals, or whatever they were, but it wasn't easy. The cheerleader wrestled to wake her boyfriend up, her shock convincing her that he wasn't hurt that badly. "'Jesus Christ!' I exclaimed, still taking glances at the thing that had pretended to be my daughter. "'God, I hope it was pretending,' the voice in the back of my head argued. I shook my head, as if to shake such thoughts away. Regardless of whatever these things were, hidden away in the trees, I was terrified at the thought of my family being out there somewhere. "'We gotta get moving,' the tall kid said. "'No telling what else is out there.' The teenage couple helped the sobbing girl up and wrapped their arms around her. The other guy assisted his friend with the bandaged leg, and we began walking, though we were thoroughly lost by now. On our journey through the trees, we heard rustling leaves and stampeding feet, but nothing else sprung out at us. It took us some time, but after walking for God knows how long, we all shared sighs of relief when we approached a parting of the trees that led to concrete pavement. The solid pathway led directly to another flight of stairs, which resembled those that may descend into a subway tunnel. I checked my phone again to see that I had still not received a word from my wife, and I was terrified to think what my family may be facing right now. I was worried that they may still be on the floor that we were now leaving behind, but something told me they were still ahead of us. I couldn't put my finger on what was convincing me of that, but somehow I knew I had to keep going. Once again, the shoddy lights flickered above our heads as we made our way down to the next floor. I had no way of knowing what still lay ahead of us, but the first floor paled in comparison to the second. I've never been a religious man, but I can't say I didn't internally say a small prayer as we walked down into the darkness below. Floor 3 Just as I had predicted, the stairway led to what appeared to be an abandoned subway. The lights above our heads still blinked in and out, but other than the buzzing noise they made, the tunnel was completely silent. Old cups, wrappers, and paper bags lined the concrete floor among the newspaper pages that appeared decades old. The paper was yellowed and even burned in places, but the words were still legible. My body was still shivering from head to toe. I couldn't break my thoughts away from the freakish creature in my daughter's clothes. I had to find my family, no matter what. Though I was still scared they could have been lost on the floor above, I knew I had to plunder forwards. It hurt me, more so for Jess and the kids than myself, to see what should have been a pleasantly creepy Halloween experience have turned out to be something like this. I think my wife loved this time of year even more than the kids. Even before our little pumpkin came along, Jessica always made sure our house was the most decorated for the season. Every year, we would add even more eerie and macabre decor to our home, so it was only natural the kids would grow to love it too. She told me it was almost like a sacred holiday in our family, and she would never allow us to be seen not following the traditions it held. Even though I never cared for it, I would go out of my way to make her happy when October approached. She would get like a giddy child when it was getting close. Subway fire claims the lives of hundreds, the teenage boy called from behind me. I turned around to see him crouched on the ground, holding one of the discarded newspaper pages. His girlfriend and her friends were still huddled together while he squatted in front of them, and the other two guys were just looking around the empty concrete tunnel. It's got today's date on it, the boy on the floor exclaimed. Of course it does, I whispered to myself with a sigh. Huh? The kid reading the paper asked, apparently having heard me speak. Nothing. I said dismissively. 
Hey, we saved your ass, man, he called out, getting back to his feet and stomping towards me. I'm just thinking out loud, mate. No disrespect intended, I replied apologetically. You better not disrespect me, fucking old fart, he said under his breath as he walked back to the girls. I shook my head as my mind took me back to my adolescent years. I was always ready to pick a fight, constantly seeking opportunities to make myself look tough in front of others. It wasn't the easiest thing, being a foreign kid in an American school. My accent made me a target, so I made sure to overcompensate should the opportunity arise. I got in plenty of scuffles for no good reason, but other kids left me alone after a while. Whether I actually intimidated them, or they just didn't want to put up with my shit, I'll never know. We all do what we have to, I suppose. At least we only have one direction to go this time, the guy who braced himself with the tree branch said. Not so much, I replied, pointing towards where we had approached from. God damn it, he sighed when he turned to look at the now absent stairway, which left an open tunnel in its wake. Yup, I said, agreeing with the sentiment. We all stood around in silence for a bit. I checked my phone several more times over the course of a few minutes. Somehow, I still had four bars of reception, but still had not received word from Jess. While we figure out what to do next, the guy with the makeshift crutch suggested, maybe we should introduce ourselves? Perhaps it would be best to have some names to go with the faces, since we were forced to be in each other's company for the time being. With the agreement of the group, we all offered our names and spoke for a moment. Tony, the tall, well-dressed guy who impaled my would-be daughter, told us that he and his boyfriend Calvin, who now propped beside him, using his strength to hold him upright instead of the branch, said that they met each other online. They arranged to meet a few years ago and instantly fell for each other. They had been together since then, well, after moving closer to one another. Together, they ran a podcast that inspired them to go undercover to a variety of roadside attractions. They had exposed quite a few over the years for safety hazards along with an array of other violations at places such as the one they thought they were entering today. Bridget and Monica were cheerleaders in the same high school, where they had been friends since the sixth grade. They were in their senior year now, along with Gregory and Todd, the two boys whose company they shared today. Gregory, who currently lay dead on the floor above, was on the football team of the school they all attended. He and Bridget had been together six months, and his friend Todd, who went to a different school, was a blind date for Monica. They had apparently hit it off right off the bat, and planned to see more of each other if we ever saw the outside world again. After getting to know the other members of the group a little bit, we all agreed to try to work as a team to get through this. No more wandering off on your own, Tony declared, giving me a wink. I shrugged and nodded my agreement. We all chuckled a little, with the exception of Bridget, who still appeared almost catatonic. After we felt we had taken sufficient enough time to rest and gather our collective composure, we all agreed to follow the path that led behind where the staircase dropped us off. We couldn't exactly pinpoint which was the correct direction on the floor above, as we were also turned around by the time we found our way to this place, so we had no basis for comparison. Perhaps the steps vanishing to reveal a second path was a hint for us to go that way, or it could very well be a trap. Somehow, we did not expect either to be a particularly safer route. We stayed close together as we walked through the tunnel with only the flickering lights above to guide our path. The platform was wide enough for us to walk side by side, but we allowed the teenage trio to walk behind the rest of us as they were still dealing with a traumatized and barely responsive girl. We saw no more than the littering of trash across the concrete floor over the half hour or so we had begun walking. When Calvin pointed out that the old newspapers and paper bags were now being distributed by a subtle breeze that was blowing around us, maybe we're getting close to the exit, Tony suggested while softly rubbing his hand across his boyfriend's back. 
Christ, I hope so, Calvin replied with a heavy sigh. Fucking leg is hurting like a bitch. I could only imagine how badly he was hurting as my perfectly unharmed lower extremities were throbbing pretty well, too. Of course, I was especially exhausted having spent six hours in a bloody truck before coming here. After a few more minutes, we felt the ground begin to tremble beneath our feet. The barely functioning girl screamed at the top of her lungs before the other girl wrapped her hands around her friend's mouth. Stop it! She demanded while holding her arms around the girl who fought her tooth and nail. We're all gonna die! Bridget cried out after wrestling herself free from Monica's grasp. She elbowed her friend in the gut when she tried to grab her again and took off running past us. God damn it, Bridge! Come back! Todd called out before scampering after her with his girlfriend directly behind him. Fuck! Tony sighed, rolling his neck before giving me an exasperated look. We made the silent decision to attempt to pursue the three that ran ahead, but we weren't able to force Calvin to go any faster than he was capable of with his swollen and bloody leg. I ran a little ahead of the other two while Tony assisted his boyfriend as much as he could. We could still see the teens ahead, though the flickering of the lights had become far more erratic, occasionally leaving us in the dark for a minute or so at a time. I finally closed the gap to find the trio squatting on the ground. I bent over and grabbed my aching side, while Todd and Monica tried to calm the hysterical Bridget, who was flailing her arms while spitting out barely comprehensible words. As the rumbling of the floor grew stronger, the wall beside us began to shudder and shift. It was gradually moving toward us, narrowing the path towards the open subway tracks. Oh shit! Tony belted out, with his pointer finger outstretched to the tunnel ahead. I turned my gaze from the moaning teens on the floor to the bright lights that illuminated the darkness ahead. It wasn't hard to figure out that the tremors and the approaching glow was a train speeding toward us. The platform was narrowing more and more as the lights ahead grew closer. Bridget was screaming at the top of her lungs as the wall pushed us closer and closer to the track. We gotta jump, she cried out before breaking free of her friend's arms. She leapt from her path and yelled out in agony as she landed with a loud crack onto the ground below. Without hesitation and honestly very impressive in his bravery, Todd slid down off the path to help her. Monica ran to watch over the ledge and hung her arms over the side to help drag them back up. The lights were getting closer and closer as Monica aided her boyfriend in dragging the weeping Bridget back onto the narrowing pathway. What happened next left my jaw agape for the third time that day. The three teenagers had successfully escaped the tracks before the approaching train arrived. Just as we saw the metal behemoth rounding the curve before us, the concrete of the platform beneath our feet began to crack and quake violently. It took all of my focus and balance to remain on my feet, while Calvin and Tony held on to each other to stop falling to the shuddering ground. The teenage trio was not so lucky. They had still sat at the very edge of the platform after making their way back up from tracks below, so when the ground crumbled and shook, it gave way where they lay, catching their collective breath. Monica turned her head toward us with a startled expression of utter shock and anguish as each of the teenagers tumbled off the landing and onto the tracks, just in time to meet the oncoming train. No! I cried out in protest, pointlessly reaching my arm out to the three who had just met their sticky end with a loud splat that sprayed blood across the platform. Tony, Calvin, and I just stared at the rusted and ancient-looking subway car as it came to a halt before squeakily sliding its doors open across from where we stood. The wall was still gradually closing the gap between us and the train, giving us little choice but to board the heavily abused shell. The door screamed shut behind us before the mildewed bricks sealed the landing we had left behind. Tony gasped when he turned his eyes to what lay inside, causing his boyfriend and I to share his reaction. Dismembered and burned wisps of translucent bodies sat upon the seats and stood in the aisle of the subway car we now inhabited. 
You look hurt, the somber and monotone voice of a thin, charred specter said to Calvin, whose arm was clutching onto his wooden prop like a safety blanket. The slender, see-through man got to his feet and gestured back towards the now-open seat with his one remaining arm. Calvin grew incredibly pale when he looked at the face of the spirit, whose left side was almost completely burnt, leaving only melted and bubbled tissue and skull. Thank you, he shakily said to the scorched and torn phantasm who bowed his head courteously. After taking a seat, he looked up at us with wide eyes and a trembling lower lip. The ghost who had so graciously given up his seat now wrapped his fingers around the metal rod that paralleled the ceiling, before absent-mindedly glaring out of the window with a solitary eye. We were all still shaken up by the bloody demise of the teenage trio, and our current company did not help us regain any manner of composure. None of the specters appeared to pay us any attention, outside of the half-scorched one who now only seemed concerned with the solid wall beyond the glass. "'What do we do now?' Tony asked, looking at his boyfriend and back towards me. I just shrugged and shook my head. I found words difficult to form all of a sudden. My mind was still arguing that none of this could actually be happening. It was just a simple roadside attraction. Such things as what we had seen descending that first flight of stairs could not rationally exist, right?' Could we have been drugged before entering the room behind the fake iron doors? I let my own eyes turn toward the windows of the shuddering train to see nothing more than brick and darkness outside, still contemplating the true nature of things I had seen so far. What the hell is really going on here? Calvin asked, shaking his head from side to side. Train, Tony replied, barely changing his expression. I know it's a fucking train, Calvin said, shrugging his shoulders and looking agitated. I meant, what is all of this? He repeated. We both looked at him with no answers to give. Well, it's safe to say we're not descending the six floors of fright, right? Calvin continued, making air quotes with his fingers. So how did we end up in a fucking forest and then a fucking train? He rambled on as his voice grew more frustrated. Some sort of parallel dimension or something? I asked, shrugging slightly. I wasn't prone to believing in such things, but it really was the only thing that made any sort of sense. As far as out of the box as the idea of it was, like, each floor is, what, a different universe? Tony asked, screwing up his face. Could explain why the stairs vanish, I guess, Calvin mentioned. Once more, our conversation gave way to somber silence before I was jerked from my thoughts by the vibration of my cell phone in my pocket. Des? Jessica asked from the other end of the receiver. Oh my god, Jess! Where are you guys? I asked with my pulse quickening. We- Last floor. Me. You coming? She said through so much static I could not make out what she was getting at. I can't hear you, babe, I said. Are you and the kids safe? Did you make it out? I asked, hoping I can get some sort of affirmation to their circumstances. I... Don't... Jer... Punk... Where? She replied. Suddenly, panic revisited me again, when my desperate plea for answers was interrupted as the train car began to shudder wildly and the darkness behind the glass gave way to flickering, bright light. Jess! Baby, where are you? I begged before the line went dead. It didn't take long to register that the glow outside was actually coming from a fiery blaze that caused the windows to bubble and crack. The flock of translucent wraiths among us got to their feet and ran for the subway car to the rear of where we stood. They all screamed in shared anguish as they pounded on the door that appeared sealed. The side entrance we had entered through flew open to reveal the angry inferno in full color. Tony and I plastered ourselves against the opposite wall of the train, 
casting glances at each other and down at Calvin, who still sat, staring out into the fire that surrounded us. What do we do? He cried out, looking back up at the two of us, who clung to the wall of the car for dear life. I don't know, Tony replied, almost emotionless and blankly. As I continued to watch the flames beating against the outside of the train, I noticed flickers of blue behind them. It's the sky! I exclaimed out loud. It's the bloody sky! I repeated, cutting my eyes to my companions while pointing out the doorway. They both just glared at me with puzzled expressions on their faces. I'm not entirely sure what reasoning guided my actions, but I braced my arms and my right leg against the wall I was leaning on before turning back to Tony and Calvin. I don't know if this is the right call, but I think I have to jump, I said before looking ahead of me again. All I knew right now was my wife was alive. I had to get to her and the kids, and I was prepared to risk whatever rash decisions I had to make to reach that goal. Are you fucking serious? Tony asked in a surprised tone. I'm going for it, I replied. If you don't hear me screaming bloody murder, you may want to follow. I continued before sprinting towards the door, pushing my leg and arms against the wall for a jump start. Wait! Calvin cried out before I passed through the opening. Though I was prepared to feel the flames scorching my flesh, I only felt a slight heat before I found myself falling. Oh shit! I called out as I felt my stomach leap into my throat while I felt the complete absence of ground below me. I screamed against my lurching stomach while I careened downwards. I felt my limbs weightlessly flapping in the air until I splashed into the cold water below. The roaring train fell silent as I sunk into the depths. I flailed around wildly before gathering myself up. I thrust my arms and legs against the water and worked my way back up to the surface. I broke through the roof of the lake and called out to the enormous bridge high above me. It's safe! I yelled out as loudly as I could to the train that was doused in flames still upon the giant structure. You gotta jump! I shouted out once more. Nothing. I bobbed around in the water for as long as I could while the subway car sped towards the tunnel ahead. There was no sign of Tony and Calvin, and I watched on while they disappeared into the dark cavern. My stomach sank when the realization that I was now alone hit me. I looked around me to see a land ways off in the distance. With a heavy sigh, I began to swim. As I approached the sandy riverbank, I felt something grab onto my leg. I wrestled to keep myself afloat, but I couldn't stop myself from being yanked down to the depths below. I kicked wildly with my other foot to no avail, and when I looked to see what had me, I saw a thick tentacle wrap around my right shin. I screamed out, which only served to allow what little oxygen I had filled my lungs with to escape into the water. I dug my fingers into the dense meat that clutched onto my leg in an attempt to claw it off of me. I punched as hard as I could against the pressure of the water around me, which eventually caused it to give way and release me. I thrust myself away from it as it charged at me again, refusing to allow my eyes to make contact with whatever the tentacle branched from. I just beat against the water as hard as I could when I noticed the tunnel ahead. I saw him harder than I knew I could to distance myself from the stretching appendage that shot towards me again. It almost grabbed me again, but I managed to kick off of it and push my body closer to the opening ahead. As soon as I cleared the entrance, the creature beat against the doorway, causing rocks to cascade, sealing it shut behind me. I began to panic as my lungs struggled for breath, but I continued to push as hard as I could. Finally, out of sheer desperation, I forced myself upwards, praying for the ability to escape a watery grave. I inhaled a deep breath of precious oxygen when I broke free of the water. The air tasted stale, but still gloriously swelled within my lungs. Again, I found myself bobbing along, but I did not look out into the bright blue sky this time. My eyes met an enormous cavern that surrounded me which appeared lit by an unseen source. 
The rippling water traced its reflection across the walls and ceilings of the cave, and I saw solid ground directly across from where I was floating. I quickly swam to the bank, fearing whatever may still be underneath me in the depths. I dragged my still-gasping body onto the hard ground and lay on my back, breathing heavily. After some time, I finally gathered myself up and climbed back to my feet. I winced when I put pressure on the leg that the tentacle had wrapped around. I looked down to see my pant leg torn into shreds, revealing a series of swollen, circular bruises. The initial pain faded quickly, but still felt mildly uncomfortable, causing me a slight limp as I shuffled forwards. I traversed the rocky path, keeping a steady lookout for anything that may be lurking behind me. I felt weighed down by my soaked clothing as I walked on, and I had no idea if the direction I followed would lead me anywhere. I finally saw what caused the dim light to flow through the otherwise darkened cavern. Small, glowing, and winged creatures circled above me. They stayed close to the ceiling of the cave, which was some fifty feet or so high. It was while I was glaring up at the glowing, fluttering creatures that I felt a stab in my chest as I realized my only link to my family was still resting in my dripping wet pocket. FUCK! I belted out, looking down at my phone that showed no sign of life behind its moistened screen. I tried popping out the battery to see if I could wipe it off on my shirt, but I didn't have a dry spot on me to even attempt to smear away any of the water. With a burgeoning rage swelling inside me, I reared my arm back to sling my device onto the nearest wall. As I stood there, ready to release it from my grasp, I sighed loudly and stashed the deceased black screen back into my drenched pocket. The path I walked slowly narrowed as it closed around the lake, which I left behind me as I wandered on. Though my route grew slimmer, it remained just as high, and a strange sort of echo bellowed from somewhere in the distance. I picked up a decently sized rock in anticipation of the potentially monstrous things that may lay ahead, though I quickened my pace slightly. The pain in my swollen leg had finally reduced to the point that I noticed it from time to time, so my journey through the cavern was growing more tolerable, though my chest was hammering like a construction crew at work. The sounds ahead of me grew more erratic and I felt my neck tense up the closer I got. I rounded a sharp corner as the path slimmed even more before it opened to a wide room with a far lower ceiling than I experienced thus far. There was a rocky stairway leading upwards on my right. The noises boomed from above me and began to mix with what sounded like screaming. I ran to the steps and looked up into the opening the stairs led to, but I could only see darkness and nothing more. As I slowly began to set foot onto the first step, a flock of the shimmering creatures charged at me. I swatted at them furiously while little mouths bit into my fingers and arms. I fell to the hard ground and reached for the rock that slipped through my grasp when they attacked. I looked up to see a swarm of tiny faces staring back at me above the very first few steps. They were little winged people. If I believed such things, I would be inclined to call them fairies, but surely this was just a trick of the light. I remembered how Jess would tell me that, according to Halloween lore, fairies and spirits of the like were free to walk among us this time of year. I would often laugh when she brought up the more fantastical and supernatural elements of her beloved holiday, but she always spoke with such reverence when she talked about such things. The fairies, for lack of anything reasonable to call them, just hovered there, guarding the stairway. I could only assume that I was not to be granted entry to whatever lay above me, so I put my hands out in front of me as though I stood at gunpoint. Okay, I said, I won't go up. As soon as I finished my sentence, the throng of fluttering, tiny people separated and flew off in various directions. What the actual fuck? I asked the steps I was not permitted to access. Once more, I got to my feet and began to continue walking in the direction I started. I was almost to the open exit at the rear of the room when I heard, RUN! coming from above me. 
I whip my head around to see Tony and Calvin sprinting down the steps. Floor 5. Holy shit! Tony exclaimed when I ran to meet them at the stairs. How are you alive? He asked. I explained what had transpired after I leapt from the train before asking, Why didn't you guys jump? You told us if you didn't scream to follow you, Calvin replied. And you screamed. I laughed when I recalled my completely undignified, oh shit, after I found only air beneath me. So how did you guys get out? I asked. Calvin went on to tell me about what happened after I left them behind. It would seem that the train came to a halt some moments after crossing the tall bridge. They were swarmed by the charged specters and forced to jump out into the flames, which faded as soon as they crossed from the subway car. They stood in front of a new set of stairs leading down into the fourth floor. They found themselves in a darkened desert, with a moonless night sky above. Almost immediately, they were chased by giant scorpions and tarantulas that erupted from the ground like a sandy volcano. As they ran for their lives, they fell into a bed of quicksand which they sunk down into quickly. With little doubt this would be the end of their journey, they gave into whatever fate lay beneath the ground only to drop into a cavernous chamber beneath the sand. They were now face to face with the stairway as the beasts which chased them fell through the sand they had just passed through. Sounds like you found yourself a shortcut, Tony remarked with a smile. Though we all laughed at his statement, I couldn't help but wonder if he was onto something. Having assumed I had still been on the third floor, I began to rethink my stance on where we were. I had previously come to the belief that we were crossing some sort of dimensional gate between floors, but if I literally jumped down two floors, there had to be some physical connection between them. I ran this new theory by my companions, to which they seemed skeptical, at best. I mean, that was sort of a fluke, right? Tony replied. It's not like we can just leap off some ledges and hope for the best. I couldn't deny that he had a point but I still insisted that we should at least keep our eyes peeled for anything that may seem out of place. They shrugged in half-assed agreement, and we all headed for the exit I had almost reached when they came running down the steps. How's the leg? I asked after noticing Calvin wasn't using his branch to walk anymore. Honestly? Fuck ton better, he replied, pulling the wrap shirt sleeve up to reveal the swelling had gone down considerably. The gashes still looked pretty gnarly, but he only had a slight limp now, compared to his borderline lack of mobility before. As we continued our stroll, the cavern walls became narrower and narrower. We could only proceed in a single file now, and the air around had grown very thin. Are you sure we're going the right way? Tony asked through a slightly wheezing breath. It has to be, I replied before explaining to them where I had come from. The ceiling was only inches above our heads now, and we had to turn our bodies to the side to keep going. We were all gasping for breath now, as the air combined with the claustrophobic surroundings to cause a degree of hyperventilation. As I started to get to the point where I wasn't sure if we would be able to progress any further, I felt my feet give out from beneath me as the ground formed a steep slant. Shit! I yelled out when I began to slide down the slick angled chute. Desmond! I heard my name yelled from above me as I sped down the slippery slope. After a few moments, I once again found the ground removed from beneath me before I slammed down onto a solid surface. Fucking Christ, I wheezed out, with the wind completely knocked out of me. Are you alive? I heard from somewhere above me. I looked up the narrow opening that had just spit me onto the floor to see it only maybe ten feet above my head. I rubbed my aching and likely bruised ass while I pushed myself back up onto my feet. Yup, I replied to the opening in the short ceiling, still catching my breath. After a minute or so, I heard the volume being cranked up on a scream as Calvin's feet came charging down from the entrance above. 
I quickly reached my arms out to attempt to break his fall while bracing for a likely painful impact. We both crashed back to the ground when I caught him, before the yelling of his boyfriend came charging at us. Without enough time to get to our feet, we both rolled in opposite directions to avoid getting crushed by the rapidly approaching Tony. Fuck me, he wailed after slamming into the concrete floor. Not right now, babe, Calvin replied in a strained voice from the ground beside him. We have company. We all echoed winded laughter against the walls of the stone room we found ourselves in. Our bones creaked and cracked in unison while we lifted ourselves from the floor, and we finally took a moment to take in our new surroundings. We were in an almost perfectly round room with no exits in sight. No doorways, no holes in the ground, and no corridors leading out. It was a fucking obelette. What's an obelette? Calvin asked when I spoke the thought out loud. A dungeon only accessible from an entrance above, Tony replied with a heavy sigh. They used to leave people to die in places like this, I said following Tony's words, to simply forget about them. The hole isn't too high up, Calvin replied, sounding hopeful. Even if we can get back up, Tony replied, where do we go from there? It's better than just waiting to die down here, Calvin exclaimed. I couldn't deny he had a point. Even if we had to backtrack all the way to the lake, there had to be another way out. Only one floor remained, and I would be damned if I was just going to stay down here to rot while my family may still be out there somewhere. Though the opening we had just dropped through was not particularly high above us, it wasn't exactly as if we could just reach back up and pull ourselves through. Can you give me a leg up? I asked Tony while staring at the opening. He nodded and walked over to me. He leaned his body downwards and cupped his hands to grab my foot. I stepped into his grip and he heaved as he pushed me up into the hole in the ceiling. My hands could not find any sort of lip or ledge to hold onto. I even tried pressing both palms to each side of the thin opening, but the inner walls were slick. I should have realized that before I even attempted this, as we had glided down here with ease. After one last attempt, I toppled backwards and Tony and I hit the ground with our backs once again. Tony groaned and I screamed curses at the opening while pounding my hands on the floor. It wasn't my most dignified moment, but my well was running severely dry. After the next few hours, we made more attempts to make an ascent from the circular room, but nothing worked. I lay on the ground staring up at the only exit to this room. Tony sat a few feet away with his head buried between his knees, and Calvin just paced around the room with frustration evident on his face. Maybe we're being punished for something, Tony said, lighting a cigarette. What could any of us have done to warrant this? I exclaimed. I don't know, he replied. Maybe we're all dead and this is hell. He gazed off while taking a deep drag from his smoke. Could they have known about our podcast? Tony continued, turning his face to his boyfriend. Is this supposed to teach us some sort of lesson or something? We don't deserve this, Calvin said while he walked around the room. What the hell is this supposed to prove anyway? He shouted, becoming more agitated as he stopped walking and leaned up against the wall. We'll figure a way out, mate, I said, though I didn't believe it myself. It's just not right, he screamed out and kicked the wall he had been propped against. God damn it, he yelled out dropping to the ground and grabbing the already injured leg he had just swiped at the wall with. Tony got down beside him to assist in checking if he'd messed his leg up even more, while I walked towards the wall he had just kicked. Do you hear that? I asked while knocking my knuckles off the stone slab we were trapped behind. Huh? The two on the floor retorted. It sounds hollow, I said, knocking harder, causing a slight echo of possibilities behind the wall. I rubbed my hand over the stone. It felt cold and firm, as a rock wall would but it didn't feel as dense, if that makes any sense. I began to kick with the flat of my foot against the supposed concrete which began to crack slightly. Holy shit! 
Tony barked, getting back to his feet and approaching me. The three of us beat and kicked and banged on the wall, which slowly began to form wider and deeper cracks across his face. About ten minutes of attempting to break through, the wall finally gave way and crumbled before our eyes. We stared over the rubble of false, makeshift rocks to see what looked like some sort of back room or storage area. There were brooms leaning against the wall, along with a bucket of water with a mop sprouting from the top. After we worked our way over the scattered imposter boulders, we paced to the end of the room to find a simple wooden door. I turned the knob and swung the door open to reveal yet another staircase with flickering fluorescent lights above. I hope to Christ this is the last bloody floor, I said with a heavy sigh. I took one last look back at the broken, fabricated wall and began yet another and hopefully one final descent into the darkness below. Floor 6 As I approached the foot of the stairs, I could see what appeared to be a damp road that reflected the moonlight that shone down from above. What the fuck is this now? I asked, looking back over my shoulder at Tony and Calvin. I stopped in my tracks when I saw nothing behind me but the steps I had already descended. Tony? I yelled out as I started to walk back up the stairs. Calvin? Where'd you guys go? I started back up the steps before they had a chance to disappear on me. As soon as I reached the top, I could see that things were not as we had left them. The broom closet and fabricated obelette had somehow been replaced with a perfectly normal-looking room. It was reminiscent of the first floor we had traversed what felt like days ago. Black cloth draped over makeshift walls, though there was no plastic and latex ghouls, or any other manner of festively spooky paraphernalia. I decided to attempt to investigate the area further to search for any hint to where my colleagues disappeared to. It actually took very little time to travel through the entirety of the area that was formed into something of a labyrinth through the aid of the false walls. I investigated the room for a while, finding no sign of a second exit, nor any trace of the two I had traveled with up until now. About halfway through my second lap around the empty room, the vibration of my previously deceased phone snapped my mind away from the puzzling surroundings. "'You gonna be home soon?' Jessica asked. "'Dinner is almost ready. It'll get cold if you stay out all night,' she laughed. Jess? I exclaimed, both shocked at hearing her voice and confused by her nonchalant manner. I turned around to find the staircase I had walked away from some time ago to now be standing directly in front of my eyes. I strolled down the stairs with my head spinning, while listening to the sounds of my kids calling out from the other side of the phone. Come home, Daddy! Jeremy yelled. Mommy's been cooking all day. You better get home quick! Sarah echoed from the background. I'll be there soon. I remarked after clearing the steps to see myself surrounded by the neighborhood I left behind my taillights earlier that same day. Love you, babe, Jess said before the line went dead. I just stood in place, staring across the street we had lived on for close to a decade before my new job led to our cross-country trip. The street lamps shone down over the sidewalks, and Halloween decor scattered every single yard. There were always a handful of our neighbors who decorated for the holidays, but it was never a full spread. It was nighttime, but the full moon shimmered down from above, which combined with the tall lamps to make the path ahead an easy one. I slowly sauntered down the middle of the road as no cars passed by, neither coming nor going. I turned my head from left to right when I noticed that every single yard sported the very same seasonal adornments. Strobing lights and fog machines in each front lawn showed a flickering and misted silhouette of skeletons and pumpkins. Each house had its own circle of bony figures that clasped hands while they stared on through blackened and hollowed eyes at the central scarecrow that perched upon a tall crucifix-like structure. Every now and then, the straw men in the middle appeared to make subtle movements from their wooden props, which may have just been the effect of the flickering lights playing with my eyes. 
Given the nature of the things I had seen so far, the idea of moving Halloween decorations did not faze me in the slightest as I strolled on in something of a wide-eyed trance. It didn't take me long to arrive outside the old house. There were no decorations in the front yard, and this was the only building on the street that had lights shining from behind the closed curtains. Though I knew this was not in fact the actual street I had left behind, it still almost shocked and confused me to see the representation of my home as the one whose yard was free of any festive decor. Ours was always the first to hold a remarkable display of pumpkins, ghosts, and witches, along with many other types of seasonal flair. More often than not, we had our front lawn decked out before September came to a close. Of course, it would take several days to complete whatever the annual theme would consist of. Though my wife adored the process of setting everything up, I can't deny I attempted to convince her to take a year off from time to time. I would feel like the Ebenezer Scrooge of Halloween for requesting such a thing, and she would grow more upset at my suggestion than if she had caught me in the act of plowing into the next door neighbor's cute wife as she walked through the door. Still, it really could be exhausting sometimes, but I loved her. I was shaking all over while I reached a trembling hand up to the door I had swung open countless times before. As I would have expected, I turned the knob to find it unlocked. I'm home, I called out, hopeful that my family would be awaiting me. My heart sank when I walked into the dining room to see three scarecrows, not unlike the ones on every lawn surrounding my home, sitting at the table. The two smaller ones sat on either side of the other that was surely meant to serve as a substitute for my wife. I reached out my violently trembling hand to the taller of the scarecrows, almost certain what I would find underneath the burlap mask. As I slowly pulled the sack away, I screamed out in agonizing horror and fell to my knees beside the table my family had eaten many meals upon. I still had my white-knuckled fingers tightly gripped onto the hard fabric bag that had large buttons for eyes, while I bellowed out against the sight of my beautiful wife's wide-eyed stare and pale, dead skin. For what felt like hours, I just sat in that same spot, wailing in sorrow. I couldn't bring myself to pull away any of the other sacks that surely disguised the vacant gaze of my children. I just stayed in place and wept until, damn shame that, came from behind me. I slowly turned my head to see my old buddy Sammy leaning up against the wall, still wearing his ridiculous circus ringleader garb. You son of a bitch! I yelled out as I charged the bastard who I held responsible for the death of my family. I slammed hard into the far wall of my kitchen after the portly man vanished before I could reach him. I gathered myself from the floor, gripping at the shoulder that had cracked the drywall, while darting my gaze around the room in search of the man I had determined would die by my hands before the date was done. My jaw fell slack again when I found the room completely empty. No longer did the corpses of my wife and children sit around the also-absent dining table. The house appeared completely empty, just as we had left it when we drove away from it for the last time so many hours ago. My chest still throbbed from the revelations of the last few moments, but I felt hope spark from within me again. Could this have just been another illusion? Was my family still alive out there somewhere? Questions. Too many questions. After a quick search through my old home to find nothing and nobody inside, I made my way back towards my front door, which now stood closed and locked, though I had left it splayed open upon entering. I swung the door open to see nine scarecrows standing in a row on the road directly in front of my old house. They were all planted in place, staring back at me through the unevenly sewn button eyes. Their order started on the left with the tallest and ended with the shortest, which I assumed to be the same one that previously represented my son. Acting as a perfectly choreographed group, they all reached up their right arm and yanked the burlap masks from their heads, 
They now glared through the pale and cataract eyes directly into my own. Sure enough, Jeremy was on the far right, while Tony stood on the left. Each of my family members, and every one of the sextuplet that I began my journey through the six floors of fright, now appeared very much alive, though also quite dead, before me. This, this is all your fault! They echoed together in a mishmash of very different voices, though equally as monotone. I paced backwards while staring at the row of pale faces that began to slowly saunter towards me. After only a couple of steps, I felt my back press against the now-closed door that I had no recollection of even passing through. You did this to us, they continued while marching forward with every movement of their limbs a carbon copy of their neighbor. I reached behind me and jiggled the doorknob, desperate to gain entry to the house. When it wouldn't budge, I darted my eyes from side to side to find the short fence that used to wrap around my home now stood so tall I could not even register the top. With a pacing throng blocking any exit to the front, and the immense enclosure preventing an escape to either side, I ran my shoulder against the entrance to the house that showed no sign of giving way. You deserve to die for what you did to us, they continued in their eerie chorus as they trudged across the wet grass of my lawn. I ran to the left and attempted to kick and push the thin wooden pikes that reached high above, but it felt as though I were ramming against a steel door. Finally, I fell to the ground, both winded and sore from my fruitless attempts to escape, and mentally exhausted from the insanity I endured since descending that first flight of stairs. My precious pumpkin was the first to close the gap between me and my undead pursuers. She still looked so innocent and pure while she glared at me through her whitened, wide eyes. I just reached out with my arms and wrapped them around her as she tucked her head into my shoulder and bit into the flesh. Though I felt immense pain when the horde's other members began to claw at my arms and legs, while my beloved daughter chewed into my shoulder, I wasn't afraid anymore. Were my family indeed free from the pains of this world, I would join them soon. This was not the way I had hoped to locate them when I began my quest through the roadside attraction, but it didn't matter anymore. Not really. I closed my eyelids and welcomed the darkness that lay behind them. What the hell are you doing? I heard a familiar voice call out, causing my eyes to dart open again. Calvin, the real Calvin, charged towards me, swinging a bloodied axe which he dug into the head of a green, scaly-faced, pointy-eared, goblin-like creature whose teeth and lips were covered in my blood. Tony was kicking and punching the others while his boyfriend reached his hand out to pull me up from the ground where I still lay. All of the nine bodies who had marched toward me from the street had transformed into these bizarre fantasy creatures, though they still wore the tattered scarecrow costumes. Calvin placed a foot on the back of the thing that had been previously chewing on my shoulder and yanked the axe blade out. He lobbed the weapon to Tony, who then buried it deep into the neck of the tallest of the goblins. A clawed hand swung towards my midsection, which I caught by the wrist before breaking the forearm bones across my upper thigh. Tony swung the axe from side to side, splitting the green-skinned beast across the chest and neck. Yellow and foul-smelling blood sprayed across the light blue siding of the house I once called home, while the sounds of cracking bones and tearing flesh echoed through the street. After a short but grueling battle, all nine of the hideous things lay still on the ground that was sure to serve as my final resting place had my friends not intervened. The three of us stood panting and heaving for fresh oxygen as we stared down at the massacre we had wrought. I turned to look at both of them, who stood winded on either side of me. They looked like they had been through hell themselves. Both had blackened and swollen eyes, split lips, inflamed ears, and bloody noses. Calvin's bald head had a deep gash on top and clumped chunks of scarlet in his matted beard. Tony had cuts and scratches across the arm whose sleeve was still wrapped around his boyfriend's knee. Without a word, I pulled them both into an embrace, sincerely grateful for the unexpected rescue. 
After seeing their doppelganger sharing the company of the dead teenagers, I was sure that they had somehow met their end before they could reach the base of the stairs that led me here. Perhaps I would not so quickly have resigned myself to a brutal death had I known I was not yet alone in this. Okay, brother, that's enough. Calvin chuckled, wrestling my arm from around him. Sorry, I replied, returning his laughter. I thought I was done for. We did too, Tony said. He went on to explain that they found themselves on a paved pathway of a park they used to frequent together when they reached the base of the stairs. Calvin remarked that they assumed I had walked on ahead while they talked back and forth while descending the steps, after they noticed I was no longer in front of them. They too had met a small herd of scarecrows who revealed themselves to be me, the teens from before, and four guys they had met in the same park under the moonlit sky some years before. Said individuals had taken turns beating the couple black and blue back in the day for apparently insulting them by showing a public display of affection, which the four had found more offensive than they could allow. My friends wasted no time in defending themselves against the group, though they did flee after being overwhelmed by the greater numbers. They ran to a nearby hotel where they found the axe hidden away behind the glass in case of emergency box. Once they were armed, a battle fared much more in their own favor when the group arrived before them again. After some blood had been spilled, the illusion faded, revealing the scaled green faces of the very things we had just put down. How did you get here? I asked. If the stairs had taken them somewhere different from where they led me, I couldn't help but wonder how they were able to locate me. Through there, Tony replied, pointing towards a simple wooden door that stood in the middle of the road, several houses down from mine. Just appeared after we finished off those things, Calvin stated, staring at the door. My heart began to race again at the idea that my family could be behind that door, possibly facing off against their own horde of ravenous goblins. Without a word, I started to run towards it, though my exhausted legs made me progress slower than I would have liked. Within a moment, Tony and Calvin were running beside me, obviously still holding far more energy than my tired body contained. Ah, to be young again. You sure you just want to rush in like that? Tony asked as I reached out to the doorknob. I have to find them, mate, I replied, feeling my eyes well up again. We got your back, brother, Calvin said, giving me a clap on the back. I looked between the two of them, who stood on either side of me again. I seriously can't thank you guys enough, I said, turning my head from side to side to look them in the eyes. I would have been dead if you hadn't shown up when you did, I continued. They both just offered me a smile, and Tony gave me a small nod. Ready? I asked. As will ever be, I suppose, Calvin replied with a heavy sigh. I pulled the door open to reveal a busy restaurant, adored with a variety of spooky decor. The scent of freshly cooked food combined with the inviting aroma of a delightful pub caused my stomach to rumble and my mouth to water. My companions and I just glared from the other side of the entryway, awaiting whatever grim surprise lay hidden with the bustling room ahead. We were all hesitant about walking through the opening in the middle of the road, even more so after every head in the room turned to face us. Applause erupted from the crowd that sat at the tables, or perched by the bar. Some got to their feet while singing our praises. What the actual fuck? Calvin said in a monotone voice. Tony and I just shrugged. It wasn't until Sammy himself peered around the side of the open door that I felt inspired to enter the room. I darted forward, grabbing the pudgy man by his collar and kicking his feet out from under him. As I reared back with my tightly balled fist with the full intention of striking the man, who still wore a silly grin on his smug face, I felt a gentle grip around my wrist. I turned my still grimacing face to meet the lovely smile of my beloved wife. Oh my god! I called out, dropping the rotund man to the floor and wrapping my arms around her. I'm so proud of you, babe, she said, kissing me on the cheek, as Sarah and Jeremy ran up and hugged around us both. 
I just stood in place, holding my family close, taking no time to consider the implications of what was really going on here. I peered up from Jessica's shoulder to see Tony and Calvin still staring on in confusion. I backed up for my wife while my kids still stayed wrapped around my waist and took another look around the room I now found myself in. Among the many smiling and cheering faces, I noticed the four teenagers who died between the first and three floors, sitting at a round table with a large pitcher of beer in the center. What the fuck is this, Jess? I asked my wife, suddenly feeling the veil lift before my eyes. I just glared at my wife, who wore a somewhat guilty, sheepish smile. I felt a thick arm wrap around my shoulder as Jessica replied, This is my Uncle Sammy. He's been dying to meet you. Are you taking a fucking piss? I exclaimed, pulling myself away from the still-grinning Uncle Sammy. We almost died, I cried out. They did fucking die, I continued, pointing toward the four teens who appeared completely unfazed by this whole experience. They got the shit kicked out of them, I said, gesturing to Tony and Calvin, whose injuries across their surprised faces appeared to slowly be fading away. I rubbed my fingers across my shoulder to feel something more akin to a wound received months before. I looked at my palm to see no more than a thin trace of blood from the still damp fabric of my shirt. I felt my knees weaken and my head spin while I stood in place, grasping for any sort of rationalization for what was happening. I... I thought you were dead, I said, gazing into my wife's eyes. My heart was racing and I was trembling all over, feeling suddenly nauseated. I saw your body, I continued as I felt cold sweat accompany the blood leaving my face. How could you... I felt my legs turn to jelly as I dropped to the floor before my dizzy head allowed the darkness behind my eyelids to take the place of the crowded restaurant. Sir? A stern voice spoke out, awakening from my involuntary slumber. I opened my eyes to see a tall, thin, older man wearing a cheaply made Frankenstein's monster costume. You asked to see the manager, yes? The man asked, glaring down at me. Huh? I replied as my eyes began to focus on the familiar lobby of Sammy's Halloween spooktacular. He was looking for his family. The monotone voice of the ragdoll girl said from behind the man as she handed him her skull-wrapped tablet. Ah, yes, he said, tapping his fingers gently on the screen. It appears they have cleared all six floors, he remarked, still gazing at the screen. If you'd like to take the stairs to your right or the elevator to the left, he gestured at the two entryways on either side of the back wall. They will take you up to the arcade at the top. If your family hasn't come back down yet, that's likely where they are, he finished. Up? Uh, I mean, the floors went down, I replied, still feeling groggy. I'm sorry, the tall man said. I'm afraid you're mistaken, sir. My senses were still heavily muted from the day's events, and my subsequent passing out. But as I began to argue with the man in the Frankenstein costume, I heard a familiar scream coming from behind me. Daddy! Daddy! Sarah yelled out as she wrapped her arms around my neck. Jess was carrying Jeremy in her arms while she strolled towards me. I think he got a little freaked out on the last floor, she remarked, rubbing our son's back with her hand. It wasn't until later that night, after the kids were safely sleeping in the adjoining hotel room next to ours, that I decided to talk to my wife about the events I knew to have taken place that day. I wasn't entirely convinced that it had all been a manifestation of my sleeping mind while I waited my family in the lobby of the roadside attraction. My theory was validated when I looked upon the bite-sized scars on my shoulder after I got out of the shower. She just chuckled and hung her head when I showed her the marks left by the ravenous goblins that somehow appeared to have long since healed. I told him not to be so hard on you, she replied with a shrug, glaring down at the mattress she was propped upon. I just stared at her, completely lost for words. There's a reason Halloween is such a big deal in my family, she continued 
spiraling her long hair between her fingers as she spoke. Uncle Sammy is actually my great, 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 well, a lot of greats, <laughs> she laughed. Great Uncle Samhain, and he takes this time of year very seriously. We sat in silence for some time. I could barely wrap my mind around the things that occurred within the walls of the six floors of fright, which were apparently helmed by the spirit of Halloween itself. I certainly couldn't come to grips with the idea that my own wife set me on this path in the first place. You were never in any real danger, Jess said softly while I still searched for anything to say. You probably shouldn't have gotten so confrontational with him, though. She continued with another shrug. Really? I barked. So it's my own fault he put me through hell. I continued, feeling my face flush. No, I mean, I'm not saying that, she stuttered. He told me he just wanted to have a little fun with you. I didn't expect him to get so carried away. She laughed again until I glared at her with a scowl. Sorry, she said, darting her eyes back to the blanket she was fidgeting with. You mad at me? She asked, still refusing to look at me. Yup, I replied. It's been some time since that cross-country road trip, and Jess and I are still together, regardless of the insanity of that day. Sure, we went through a good deal of counseling after we settled down into our new home, but I still love her. Even if she is a somewhat psychotic demon spawn. God, I hope she doesn't read this. Halloween is approaching again, and our yard is more decked out with festive decor than ever before. Punkin and Jeremy are as excited as always, and they apparently remember nothing about the trip that found us at Sammy's Spooktacular. That's probably a good thing. I still keep in touch with Tony and Calvin. They attended a bit of therapy themselves after promising to never include Sammy's in their podcast, which no longer focused on exposing attractions, but enjoying and recommending them instead. Truthfully, they were remarkably cool about the whole ordeal. The scars on my shoulder are barely visible anymore, but I still have the occasional nightmare that revisits a mutated and deformed version of my daughter. I can't say I still don't care for this time of year, but I'll be damned if I admit that to Jess. She told me that we are going to have a special visitor this year. Her great uncle is going to be in town, and he's apparently quite excited about seeing me again. It's safe to say that the feeling is far from mutual. Just be sure to follow the traditions of the seasons, yeah? Leave those jack-o'-lanterns lit. Make sure you have candy for the trick-or-treaters. Toss up a decoration or two, even if it's just a random skeleton sitting in a lounge chair. And should you ever see a billboard that reads Sammy's Halloween Spooktacular, I'd have to recommend you just keep on driving. Happy Halloween, folks! <laughs> God help me. Well, that's all, folks! Three truly terrifying tales from an amazingly talented author. I personally feel that that last one needs to be made into a movie because that would quickly become a staple in my house for spoopy season viewings. What story did you enjoy the most, my lovelies? Let us know in the comments and maybe shoot us some links to stories you'd like to hear narrated in future storytime episodes. Thanks so much for listening. We hope you enjoyed the episode. Tune in next time for more haunted histories and crazy killers. Don't forget to follow us on Anchor. Click the links in the show notes to support us on Glow. Check out our website, grab some official Something Wicked merch at our store, and hop on over to our Facebook group for info on upcoming episodes. Later!